getting caught side, Knicks and Nets give me high five. I be spiked out, I could trip a referee. Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to episode number 10. The boys just hit double digits of Live in 5. I am your co-host, DJ Swish, from 93.1 The Fella, joined, as always, by my partner in crime and co-host, Gage Azo Osmus, and our producer, Jackie Furda Mason, brought to you always by 10K Takes and Butter Golf. Butter Golf is the official sponsor of Live and Five. Head over to butter.golf for all your lifestyle and golf need. Folks, we still have a couple of those Forks hats out there. If you're looking for that, I believe one left in black in the pre-order, sold out of green, and have a couple white ones in there. But that's neither here nor there because, boys, we are live. How the hell are we doing? Ozzy, you're back from the Big Apple. Mace, you're locking down Minnesota. Start with you, Ozzy. What's up, brother? How was the Big Apple? How was the weekend? Yeah, how are we doing, fellas? Um, the Big Apple's insane. You know, it's uh, it's one of those places where you kind of drive up on and you're like, is this real? You know, is that is that real what I'm looking at? Do that, this many people actually fucking live here? And yes, they do. Um, they, they find a way. It still doesn't make sense to me how it exists, but they find a way and the place is insane, man. Um, I don't know. It was a good weekend. You know, I, I, I got out there and we, we obviously, the mini movers moved someone out there, downtown uh, Manhattan in the East Village side. Um, I don't even know if it was the same things. There's so many boroughs out there. We're in, we're in the Bronx. We're in Harlem. I don't even know. They're all the same thing. Just skyscrapers, people everywhere. But um, Joe yeah, I ended up staying with my buddy Hudson Fashing out there. He's playing for the Islanders. Uh, he's living in a house, you know, on the Island, um, pretty nice, you know, decent spot. I'd probably say, you know, somewhere 22 to 2,400 square feet. I don't know, but 7k a month in rent. I mean, it's, How it's insane. And it, Good. It's, yeah. oh. it's funny too, Ozzy, because you get on the Island and I believe that you're, you're a long time listener, first time caller out there. Like you get on the Island and then you go into Manhattan and you kind of get around what the actual speed of New York City is like. It's it's totally different in terms of, you know, you kind of have the family lifestyle. I mean, it's still you're still nut to butt on the island in terms of, you know, people on top of people. But it, it's a different lifestyle, even 30 minutes outside of, of New York City there. So did you get to a game there? You, you ended up going. Who'd you watch in terms of the Islander game and who were they playing? Yes, yeah, so the Isles played uh, the Hurricanes. Dude, in and Islanders rank, it's, it's awesome. And like you said, that feel on the island is a lot different. It doesn't feel like the city. It feels, you know, more suburban, more, you know, normal people. And then once you get into that city, I mean, all rolls off. I mean, it's just insane. But no, yeah, I watched the, So I go to the game. Obviously, I'm watching Hudson plays. He's number 20 for the Islanders. Uh, I'm kind of hoping he wins because we had planned to get beers with him after or whatever. And um, they go up three, nothing. 
and the Hurricanes storm all the way back and, and win it in overtime. I think the first shift of overtime, they win it. But I did want to touch on, I mean, have you seen the Hurricanes? Their decor, I think their third pair might be first pair on 50% of the teams. Like their oh, yeah. decor is nasty. I mean, they're nasty. They have, off the top of my head, they have Brett Burns. They have Tony D'Angelo, a.k.a. the gangsta from South Philly. We actually talked to Anna Dua, who we have coming on later for our interview about Tony D. We mentioned him. They have Brady Shea. I mean, they have a – who else do they got? That Slavin kid who's nasty. We played against him at Colorado College. I mean, that top four or five right there is is unbelievable. And was that Chatfield kid playing, yeah. or who, who else was on the back end that night? Chat, Chatfield was playing. He actually Brett scored Pesci. a goal. He looked – yeah, Pesci was injured. Wasn't even playing. Right. I, mean, it's just, I mean, he's nasty, too. He's deep he's a, so deep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's right. That Pesci, I believe he has a knee injury right now. But, I mean, that when all those guys are healthy like that – that core is actually insane. And the way they play too is hilarious because like that Rod Brindamore, I believe his style is he just wants to get up and go and push the pace and guys that, you know, in the league that have played against Carolina, even guys I know that have played for Carolina. It's just like, they just want to get back to the puck in the D zone and they have a lot of skilled defensemen, but they just like rim it out every time. If you notice that and their wingers are so good on the walls that they're able to take those pucks and handle them on the yellow and kind of bring them into the middle of the ice. And then they're just gone. It's like, it's one of the fastest teams in the league in terms of just the pace they play at. And the puck basically does all the work. It does. And they, they, like you said, they don't slow it down at all. Like they're going the whole time. I mean, it's, and and they don't really hit either. Like there's not, it's not physical out there. It feels like it's almost an easy game to play, but you know, you're looking at these Islanders guys, they're all kind of older guys, veterans in the league. And it's like, those boys had to have been bagged. Like, Carolina doesn't stop. They just keep coming. They keep, you know, like you said, those D-men, they don't take their time with it. I mean, they just push it up the ice. They push it. They, they go north, and it's it'd be tough to play. I mean, they've got some skilled guys on that team, obviously, but. Um, the yeah, Islanders have such a funny makeup of their team. It's just like I feel like they've had the same fourth line for maybe the last 30 years. Cal Clutterbuck, a.k.a. Cluttertuck, Maddie Martin. Like, these guys are just so funny to Zizekas, watch. Zizekas like, just burying his head and eating the puck. I mean, these guys – Clutterbuck, like, is still just a menace out there too. Like, he'll he'll cold shoulder a guy. He'll elbow someone to the chin. Like, that guy, the way he's played, borderline criminal-esque for the last 12 to 13 years. I mean, how do – you got to be a little – little fucked up, pardon my French, or a little just, you know, something's missing with you to really want to bring that year in and year out. Because that's like, his style of play is just hilarious. Like, he's out there literally trying to hurt guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, back in back it's in his heyday, too, when he, was play, when he was playing with the Wild, too, I mean, he used to absolutely kill guys. And like he's he's a criminal out there a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's still doing it. They, their, their core is so old. It feels like they've had the same team for the last 15 years, like you said. And it's just like they're all good players, but I don't know what makes them different from last year. You know, like are they going to break through? I don't know. They look the same. Probably not. And I just love this. The one thing I do love about Lou Lamarillo, though, is his loyalty. Like that guy will sign his guys to long-term deals. I mean, Scotty Mayfield got like a seven- or eight-year ticket. That Ross Johnson, who actually got picked up off waivers this year to the Anaheim Ducks, he was on like a a five-year deal just making about one and a hook per year. The guy would play like 12 games a year. But Lou is just so loyal. If you shave your face, you don't get in trouble. Lou is going to keep you on the island, in which I kind of love about him because he's old school like that. But 
Did you get yeah. a night out in the city at all, Ozzy? Were you able to push the pace? You know, give me the green light or I'm running the red type, you know, effort because that city, yeah. she don't sleep. You know, you could roll that thing right over and you can honestly get into some serious trouble. Oh, man. We we hit her pretty good on Saturday. Um, after the Islanders game, we, you know, we took an Uber back into town. Um, we actually went down there during the day just to get some brunch and, you know, have a couple feelers, see what it's like take the Uber out to the, uh, what's it called? The UBS center yeah, UBS. And, and on the Island. And then, uh, we headed back and it was so funny. The first bar we went to, it's called the chapel and you walk in and you're legit in a chapel, but you're boozing. It's, right. it's kind of funny. Like you, you feel like you're at church, but you got take a, me to church fashion baby. in your hand. <laughs> yeah. You got a nice old fashioned in your hand in a chapel and you're like, some club music going on. You're like, oh, I feel kind of good about this. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a nice feel, you know, like right. I feel innocent, but I also feel dangerous a little bit. So, 100%. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up going out to a little club after that. You know, I ended up checking my phone. It's, you know, timing says 250 or like 315 or something. I'm like, holy fuck, should we get out of here? And they're like, nah, she ain't closing down for a couple more hours. I'm like, are you kidding me? Jesus Christ, get these people out of here. Like, <laughs> Nothing's good happening here right now. Like we no. gotta get out of here. This is insane. Did you get to uh did you get to that spot due west at all over there in the West Village or did you not make it over there? No, we never made it. I I, I offered it a bunch of times. I wanted to go. Yeah. I mean there's a there's a never... million spots in that city. Like yeah, right. It's just like, like we, it really was always long. it was always like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hit it the next time. We're gonna we're gonna get it. You know, the next bar we're going to is due west, and then you just get caught up. Like, you can bar hop for so yeah. long there. It's just like you walk next door, and you're like, gosh, we have one here. Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, you could booze in one yeah. neighborhood for a month straight, and you wouldn't get sick of it. Like, that's city, Easily. It's nuts. But, fella, glad you had a good time in the Big Apple. I got to get back out there. I love me just a little bit of a touch of the concrete jungle. I think it's similar to Vegas, where it's like should be like a 48-hour kind of rule, because after that, man, it's – uh it's I gotta, I gotta, sh I gotta share one quick story. My last yeah. Sunday there, um, I'm on the island. I'm walking around for dinner by myself. I'm on a walk because I gotta walk it off, you know, on Sunday. And I step into this, you know, family corner Italian restaurant. Just step in. I'm like, fuck. Let me see what these, you know, New Yorkers got for some family Italian. You know, I walk in there, and everyone turns their head like, who the fuck is this guy? You right. know, like I'm in there by myself. They look over they're like, who the fuck is this guy? I get greeted like, hey, what are you doing here, buddy? I'm like, ah, just looking for some food. They're like, all right. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let me go grab some guy. And he goes in the back. He grabs like the head chef or something. I don't know who it was. He walks out. He's like, hey, nice to meet you. What are you doing here? I'm like, well, just can I get something to eat here? Like, can I just sit down and order something? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a, have a seat over here. He walks me over to a table. You know, he introduces himself. Hey, nice to meet you. What are you doing in town? You know, how are you doing? How are you doing? And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. She's like, uh, oh, you, ever, you ever been here before? And I'm like, no, this is my first time. And he's like, go. First time, huh? Okay. Hang on. I'm going to go back. Let me, uh, I'm going to get some guys. I'm like, what? What? You're going to get some guys? He walks back. He comes back out with like four guys. And I'm like, holy fuck. Am I in like a mob bar? Like. Am I in a mob like restaurant and these guys are pissed I'm there? Like, do they think I'm like, I don't know. I had, I had this out, you know, I had a chain out. I'm like, yeah, fuck chain me. out. Put, 
I put the chain away. You know, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, do they think I'm part of a gang or something? Put it away. Comes out, owner of the restaurant, shakes my hand. Hey, I heard it's your first time here. Nice to meet you. How you doing? Great. Nice to meet you guys. I'm shaking hands with everyone. I'm like, fuck, this is scary. Like, what's going on? All of a sudden, he's like, so what do you want to eat? And I'm like, well, I haven't seen a menu yet. What do you What do you got? He's like, oh, you like this. Danny, Danny, bring him this. Goes out back, just brings me a plate of food. Okay, sweet. I eat it. It was great. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Thank you, guys. They're like, you like it? Good. Walk back. <laughs> it was just insane, man. It was a movie. Like The whole what restaurant is- said hi to me. And they're like, hey, nice to meet you, buddy. How Whoa. you doing? And I'm like, what was the plate of food? I was about to get whacked. <laughs> this is insane. What what like, what like they give you? Was it chicky parm? Was it a bolognese? What did they feed you? It, it was like a... It was like a fucking rib. It had a huge bone on it. It was like pork or rib or something. I don't know what it was. I didn't know. I couldn't understand what they were, you know, what they were calling it. They're calling it some Italian name, you know, like, you know what they do? Like, I can't yeah. understand it. It's like something rigatoni with some marinara and, you know, I don't know. Like, I just started eating it. I'm like, you know what? Fuck, this is pretty good. This is awesome, guys. Thank you. Did they, and they're did like, they, yeah, yeah, I'm pumped. Did they charge you? Like, or did you just bought yeah, so they bring out the bill after I'm like, thank you so much. Like, I don't know. Like, did you think I was like a celebrity or something? Do you do this to everyone that walks in here? Like, I don't know. It was crazy. And, and, and just, they all like shook my hand before I left and on, 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 on the way. Like it was insane. That's I, thought I, was gonna, I, I for sure thought I was getting whacked though. Like I for sure thought I was going to, I was taking a bullet to the back of the head. <laughs> That's straight out of fucking Goodfellas, man. Something funny, you know, like, do I amuse you like a clown? Like with the boys, were they like fully suited up or what was like their get up? Oh yeah. So the, the, the first guy comes out, he's got like the chef uniform on. He's like, how you doing? You know, what are you doing here? You know, they're all asking me what I'm doing there. I'm like, what do you think I'm fucking doing here? It's a restaurant. I'm here to get food. And they're like, what are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Should I leave? You know, I'm like, right. Is that okay? I actually asked, I actually asked a guy, I was like, Hey, like, is it okay if I actually just came in here without a reservation and just sit down? Like, should I leave? And he's like, no, oh, no, you're good. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you remember what part of the city this is? This is, this is hilarious. It was, it was on the Island and I was just out for a walk and yeah. it was on like a neighborhood corner. And I just saw like family restaurant and family Italian restaurant. So I walk in and I'm like, this could be good. Like I, I haven't had any like real New York food, which everyone's telling me about some Italian and I figured it'd be a good spot. So I wanted to get some and that's what happened. It was insane. I was, it was one of the most I've ever been scared of my life. Like I for sure thought, yeah. I was going to end up in the, in the bay after, you know, like they were, yeah, they were taking you back out to the meat locker. They're going to whack you right next to a cow and then bury you in the Hudson, yeah. you know, just dump you right off in a, your body in the body bag, man. That's like Ray Liotta walking through the kitchen. You know what I mean? With his wife or with his girlfriend, just kind of going through straight mob style. That's, uh, that's so funny. I, I would have been on edge too, especially a little hung, you know what I mean? And in, in terms of you're just looking for a nice chicky par, maybe a vodka sauce, maybe even just something, you know, a, a veal lamb chop, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you know, you got to be 10 fingers down, 10 toes down. You're kind of looking around like, what the fuck is going on? Was it like a white, was it like a white um, tablecloth type place, you know, or did they have you sit yeah. at the bar or wh- where were you sitting? I'm so white tablecloth, white tablecloth place. I, I, they sat me down at the bar. And like I said, all these guys are coming up to me. I mean, they're staring me in the eyes, you know, like looking me in the eyes. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Yeah. What are you doing here? Getting some food. And then they brought the food out and I'm like, hey, you guys got any uh, salt and pepper? And they're like, no, you don't need any. <laughs> like, okay. They'll decide. Cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> they literally told oh. me I didn't need any. I'm like, okay. They're like, no, seriously, you don't need any with that. It's already good enough. Yeah. Like, cool. I'll eat it. Fuck. What an experience. Was there anyone else in the restaurant? Like, were you the only person eating? No, I mean, there are, there are like other Italian families sitting down at their tables, like in a different part of the bar. So this place was only like, it was like a bar, like five chairs. And then there was like a wall there. So it kind of like, it felt like maybe this was like a spot for big wheels. And I was supposed to be sitting in the other place. They're like, what the fuck's this guy sitting here for? But yeah, I mean, it was an experience. It was, I mean, obviously I'm pumped to have it. But at the time I was like, is this what it's always like for people? Like, this is nuts. Like these people, there's no way they're that friendly to everyone. Like, Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. No, no, no. But you don't, you, I mean, you never know in an old mob spot like that. It's kind of just a front, you know, they got to bury some cash somewhere. Like food was good though. You'd be back. You'd go back if you were, you know, on the Island. Food was unreal. I'd, I'd, I'm, I'd go back the first second I had the chance back in the Island. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Ozzy. Shaken up with well the local mafia over in Long Island. That's uh that's quite the it story. Had to be. It had to be right. Like if you had to bet, yeah. like they had to be part oh, of the yeah. mafia yeah. or something, I mean, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, connected in some way. I mean, who isn't over there? So <laughs> that's awesome. That's a funny story, man. But um, transitioning over to Mace, I don't know if you're gonna be able to one up Ozzy's story, but what did you get up to this weekend, brother? You obviously uh were in and around the Minneapolis area. I believe you went to a wild game and you came back with some sue memorabilia so that's always a win yeah you know friday spent the day in uh invited over some buddies had time then saturday i don't know like what came over me but started drinking at like two o'clock wild game was at like seven so i mean right. by the time the wild game already comes around i'm already a few deep and so i get to the game and yeah i'm pretty drunk at this point and i mean I see the Sioux jersey and I'm like, holy shit, like I'm already five deep and the sheet is just absolutely filled up. I get the last spot on it and I walk home with the jersey. I mean, I was so hyped. I put it on as soon as I got it and then put in overtime shift to truck park after and then watch the clocks change. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you got to turn it back night. naturally, right? Yeah. Nothing better than turning and... the clocks back. And that oh, yeah. jersey. Yeah. You get that jersey, like it literally feels like you just like won like a 50-50 raffle. Then you realize, yeah, like I spent like X amount of dollars on this, but I don't even fucking care. Dude, I mean, when I won it, like I was writing my shit down, writing my name, writing my email. This guy taps me on the shoulder, shakes my hand. Hey, good win. I was the bet for you. And I looked down, this guy had bet like three times already. Yeah, you got to show it off here. A nice Zach Parisi Sioux jersey. I mean, that's a that's a win in itself. Whatever you're paying for that. I mean, the eleven car there, that's nasty. Yeah, that's nasty. Oh, yeah. yeah, I so, mean, that's something you can wear at Bonzers next time and feel real good about it when you're back up in GF. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not rocking the AliExpress green Zach Parisi Sioux jersey anymore. I'm I'm actually part of the club now. Hundred percent. So. Sounds like a nice little weekend, Mace, especially, you know, parlaying that with Tom Reed's after turning the clocks back and, like we always say, throwing both ways. Um, my weekend, boys, Friday, not much, but I was kind of just chilling on Friday. I was doing a little butter golf work. I was doing some different things, and I, I threw out a tweet that I thought was worth mentioning because uh, I went boots on the ground at Mullet Arena on Thursday, and I watched the Montreal Canadiens, who were the visiting team, play well, the Desert Dogs here in the greater Phoenix area. And, you know, I was watching this kid, this Uriah 
or Yuri Slavkowski. I've actually played against this kid in Finland back in uh, the 2021-22 season. And, you know, he was a first overall pick a couple years ago for Montreal. And I was kind of watching his game. And, you know, for better or worse, I just thought I'm watching this game. And, you know, I'm reading some tweets about him before Canadian media obviously is crazy. And it just seemed like he was lost on the sheet. Like he was kind of all over the place. He was playing a little bit of power play. He wasn't getting a whole lot done. And it seems to me, you know, his development or his, you know, curve of really becoming a, you know, a solidified number one overall pick and like a franchise player, like they expected came to kind of a halt. Like he was just out there lost. He was turning the puck over. He wasn't really making a whole lot of plays. And to me, it kind of brought me back to when I was playing against him as a 17 year old kid, when he was there in Finland, and I played a playoff series against him, he was just kind of like a, a big dummy out there where he was, you know, a little bit lost. He had the physical frame. He was a specimen for being that, you know, young of a kid. And and kind of was just missing some things in his game where, you know, if he could figure it out, well, maybe he could blossom into what people thought of him. So anyways, I throw out a tweet after the game, or maybe it was the next day on Friday, where I'm talking about, you know, hey, I watched this Yuri Slavkovsky play. Uh, to me, you know, he, he looks a little bit lost out there. He, he kind of has blinders for vision, this and that. And then I basically said, you know, I think this kid, what would benefit him the best would be, you know, a little bit of a uh, an American Hockey League stint with no timetable on it. Just go down there, feel the puck, play on the power play, play in a league that's a little bit slower. You can get, you know, more reps. It's going to be less pressure. So all that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, these tweets start coming in from Montreal Canadian super fans. I don't know who retweeted it from them, but as you know, there's so many goofies in Canada. I'm getting shredded. Like, I'm, you know, I'm eating just lefts, rights, you know, fucking backhands. Like, people are saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, you were 25th overall. You're a bigger bust than him. You only played 43 games. I'm sitting there like, yeah, you're right. I'm probably a bust, but I also played 43 more games than you ever fucking play from your coach. And also, I was 25th <laughs> overall back in the day, so thank you very little. So I'm getting all these backhanded you know, comments. You know how crazy Twitter is. Like, these guys are just burning me up in every second. Like, I'm, you know, I'm getting these tweets, and I'm just eating reflection shots. And then some would agree with me, and then some people would be like, holy fuck, back to that. And so that whole day of Friday, I'm, I'm trying to do work, and my phone is just blowing up. And, you know, this tweet gets a lot of steam anyways this tony marinaro guy out of montreal who's like a radio personality he does podcasts he does a live show he hits me up like midday it was like four o'clock this time he's like hey uh can you come on my show at 7 30 mountain i'm like yeah i'm like why he's like you know i had a good idea it was because of that tweet he's like yeah i just want to talk about slavkovsky and your tweet i'm like okay perfect so this guy has andre turgney on who is the coyotes coach and then me. So like he has Andre on and it's a live show. I didn't even know that until I signed up for it. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be at my brother's place. I'm going to be having dinner, but yeah, I can make it work. I don't have a mic with me or my headphones. He's like, okay, yeah, we'll make it work. So I ended up going on this podcast or this live show with Tony and it actually ended up being pretty good in terms of just being able to, you know, kind of back up my points and, you know, really talk to people who, whoever was listening off the ledge. I'm like, listen, guys, I just watched this kid tonight or the the night before. This is what I know. I actually played against him that year in Finland about 12 times, played him in a playoff series, played seven games against the kid. So I knew his game pretty well. And all I was really saying was if I'm in that war room in Montreal sitting with their brass, which I'm not, I'm just a dude on a podcast bullshitting, I think the best thing for that kid would just be go down to the minors for a little bit 
and say he only has to play three games. Maybe he comes back up, you know, he puts up six, seven points in three games, and all of a sudden, you know, he feels like he's the best player in the world. Because right now you're watching him. He's got no confidence. I know he scored the other night in St. Louis, but it was like a little dinky little flip shot off the wall. And I just think, you know, if I'm, you know, evaluating this guy's game, there's not been much progress from where it is now to two years ago. I think he's still got a lot of holes in his game. I think he's kind of dumb. I think he's got, you know, just some things he needs to figure out with how he can use his frame better. So that's all I was trying to say, but it was just so funny, um, you know, short story long here of how many people were just absolutely carving me. It was like a honey baked ham on Thanksgiving. I was just getting diced up. Dude, those Canadian fans, those Canadian hockey fans, not just the Montreal Canadians, but the Canadian hockey fans in general, they'll, they get so pissed when you chirp one of their players. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about, buddy? Oh, I know. I thought they were like coming so from funny. my head, man. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm just a guy sitting here in Scottsdale and half stung, and you guys are just coming off the top hey, rope because I called you. All you, I said you, was, you, this guy needs to go down to the jungle. Is the jungle yeah. that bad? Jesus Christ. You, you didn't say anything bad about the guy. You're just no. like, hey, I'm going to state the obvious. He's a number one overall pick. Right, he's not living up to the hype right now. If you don't, if you can't see that, you better get your fucking eyes checked because you're an idiot. He's right. not that's, one yeah, number. That's, like, that's all I was saying, and I was also like, you know, <laughs> even on that on that podcast when on the show, I was like, you know, I think a guy like Logan Cooley, you know, he really benefited from playing a year at Minnesota. He was a third overall pick that year, but he really benefited from playing at Minnesota that you know one year and then turning pro. This kid jumps into a team that's not very good. You know, they don't have a whole big or, you know, quite the supporting cast around him as they do even in Arizona. And now he just looks lost out there. So go down to the jungle, work on your game, and you'll be all right. But those, I just wanted to touch on how crazy those fans are because you just forget, man. And um, that was funny. So that was my Friday. Saturday went boots on the ground at Mullet and then just tied one on. Irish coffees are undefeated. So that was a fun little day. Is there anything better than a matinee in the National Hockey League, especially for a player? No morning skate. You can wake up, you know, a little bit later. Maybe you're waking up at 9.30 as opposed to, you know, 8.30. And basically, you just get up, you get in your car, you throw a chew in, and you go right to the rink. You have a little breakfast right at there with your chef, and then you're on the sheet. And then afterwards, yeah, you want to win the game. But if you have a couple days off after that, Ozzy, I mean, you're right to the bar. It's 4 o'clock. I'm having happy hour drinks before I funnel that bone-in filet at the steakhouse. I mean, talk about National League, fella. 100 percent it's unbelievable getting those matinee games you don't have to mess around and i think you know i can go back to the i think the college schedule now jordan was uh saturday games are played at 6 p.m yep. how much how much better is that even than the, than the 707 start it's like you get an extra hour after you sweep that fucking team out of the building to flirt with the boys in college after it's just uh yeah, it's it's unbelievable, and I and one of the worst parts about being a player is waiting for that game to happen. Like exactly. that whole day, you're just like thinking about it. Like, all right, like I got this guy on the other team; he's gonna be four checking me all game. Like, this is gonna suck. I got ten hours to think about it. It's terrible. Oh, that's the worst. You're thinking about who's barreling down your chin. He's like, I got ran last game, or you maybe even you know who knows what happened. You took a shot to the face. It's just that day of waiting around is so brutal, especially after morning skate. And like, I mean, how many? hours can you really nap you know it's maybe one you know especially as you get a little older but transitioning into you know what you were talking about just there Ozzy in terms of college hockey and I wanted to touch on 
this weekend series and just a couple different things going on in the college game. But I guess it started off at the top of what we really know. And did you happen to catch the UND BU series this weekend? And let's start with this first. Did you see my cousin Jake Schmaltz's hit on the future 2024 number one overall pick in that Macklin uh, Celebrini, I believe is how you pronounce it. Oh, my chin music. That was an open ice hit. Like, that's old-time Sioux hockey. Was it a little cheap or was it a, a borderline hit? I think you could probably argue that. But at the same time, that kid, he bailed on the hit. He saw Malt coming across the tracks, and he either yeah. caught an edge or fell that's down. Right. And then his chin's right there. And what do you do when you're already committed to the hit? I think the refs made the, the right call. If you want to give a five-minute major at the time, sure, because his head bounced off the ice. But at the same time, he was able to stay in the game. Both were. Jake wasn't kicked out, and the kid came back. So I don't know, man. That was a fucking big-time hit and very old school from uh, number eight car on UND. Yeah, and then you see all these people, you know, tweeting out, oh, yeah, classic North Dakota hockey, cheap shot. Okay, one, one, yeah, you're right. Typically, historically, the North Dakota hockey team does fucking dummy the other team. Yes, we throw hits. We we might injure guys. We might do something cheap, but that's, you know what? That's competitiveness. That's fucking battle, you know, and that's what we're bringing. We've got a bunch of northern, you know, western Canadian boys from Saskatchewan and Alberta. We've got some Midwestern, you know, corn-fed brothers. And, yeah, we're going to bring it to you, and we're going to play a tough game, and that's the way we play. But here's the deal is that, like you said, that hit that hit looked so much worse than it actually was. Like, Celebrini bailed on it. He fell. He, he tried to kind of, like, dodge the hit, and he fell, and he fell right into his shoulder. If he stands up, that's just a clean, open ice hit, and he might even be hurt worse now. So maybe it was just smart that he fell because yeah, that might have multi been a had him lined up. Yes, that that very well could have been just a business decision. I couldn't really tell if he lost his edge. It honestly looked like he kind of saw him last second and then did the old pull the shoot, right? You know, you pull the yeah, shoot. Yeah. Hopefully the airbags there. It wasn't. And at that point, <laughs> if you're Jake there, what do you really do? I mean, you're committed to the hit. You were squaring him up right in the middle of his sternum, and all of a sudden he's a smaller player too, in compared to Jake, who's about six two. But at that point, man, I mean, what do you do? You're going to take that kid out. And I thought, as a North Dakota hockey fan and as a Jake Schmaltz fan, I was fired up. I'm not going to lie, a little dirty, maybe you could argue it, but at the same time, the kid was falling. And I just think, even a penalty like that, Ozzy, I see that on the bench if I'm North Dakota. I'm thinking we kill that shit off every goddamn time because that is their best player. That is a, you know, you're that's a you're sending a message with that hit in terms of we don't fuck around. And if you're on the tracks, you better get off them or you're getting fucking dummied. And vice versa, if one of their players does that to Blaker, I think the entire North Dakota bench forgets about the hockey game and they are just trying to take the head off of that guy. Who hit yep. Blaker. I mean, that's just the way it goes. That's hockey. That's what you got to deal with. Those like me and you, Jordo in Miami, when uh, Zarnik went and hit eight Schmaltz. And I don't know if I'm going to get Hack in trouble here, but I remember Hack telling us on the bench, you go out there and get that motherfucker. And we did. So yeah, that's just yeah. what you got to do. That's hockey, baby. Yeah, that was bullshit. I'm still pissed off about that, Ozzy, where Zarnik ran Nick from behind, you know, into the end wall. It was a headshot. 
And yeah, we did what we could, but I, I still, I would like to see that guy and just deliver him a nice sucker for that. You know what I mean? Because always eye for an eye, brother, right? It's just, even though we were able to cross check him a little bit, I'm still kind of pissed off that I just didn't get one just to cold clock him right across the jaw and say, hey, buddy, you don't fuck with that kid. So um, anyways, moving over to BU though, I wanted to touch on them a little bit in terms of they're legit, brother. I think that's a good hockey team. I think they have a lot of good players, even, you know, you know, a couple more even than that Celebrini kid. I think this Lane Hudson kid, I mean, he had a hat trick as a defenseman on Saturday night. The way he can move, the way he uses his brain, to me, I mean, it's a high praise comparison, but I think he's like an Adam Fox in terms of an undersized defenseman, but he moves a lot better laterally. Like Foxy kind of gets a little bit, you know, more cerebral. He kind of uses his you know, just moving the puck with more of his stick. I think this kid can really move and impact the game with his feet better than Fox can. I think Fox has really good deception. I think he's more of like a Allen Iverson in terms of, you know, I think Hudson's more of like an AI versus, you know, kind of Fox is more of like a floor general out there. I just think this kid is yeah. nasty. I think it'll be interesting to see how he fits into the pro game, but watching him as a college hockey player, like, man, is he dynamic. Yeah, those – like in in that BU team too, you know, I think I've seen enough out of North Dakota this year. I can claim that they are a good, they're a really good college hockey team this year. They've got, they've got older guys, they've got veterans, they've got younger guys who are kind of stepping up to the plate. They're just, they've got goaltending. It seems like they're just a really good hot college hockey team. And BU hung in there with them. I I thought North Dakota was the better team a little bit. They seemed a little older, a little smarter. Um, which is why, you know, in college, that's why some of those older teams, you know, like BU, some of those younger teams, sorry, like BU in Minnesota some years, um, they have trouble playing with, you know, they, they probably got more talent on their team, but they just have trouble playing with teams because experience matters in college. And um, I think some of those older guys can bring a lot to the game that younger guys just haven't really gotten yet or, you know, added to their game. Um, which is what I thought I saw with BU. Like they've got a ton of talent. They're just a little young right now, but it's early in the season. They look really good for, for early in the season. Like that, that's a team that's going to be a lot better in the second half and they're already really good. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in hockey East with, with them and BC back in the game. Um, but yeah, it's always fun, you know, watching two blue buds go at it like North Dakota and BU uh, I think that was the first time North Dakota was able to win a game in Boston um, in like 30, 33 years or something. Uh, so it's yeah, I was going to say, did we, did we not win a game there my sophomore year? Did we lose and tie? Yeah. So remember that, Jordan? We weren't even any good. I thought, remember how bad we were? We went in there and lost and tied. And we kind of celebrated that night like we won, like we split. Because oh, yeah. we got a tie. You remember yeah. that? Because yeah. I was thinking back on it. I was thinking like, no, 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 that's wrong, Schloss. We we actually won a game in BU. I remember kind of celebrating being happy after a game. And then yep. I went and looked at the scores, and I'm like, holy fuck, we just tied, and we celebrated a tie. I know. Because I saw that tweet, and I was thinking like, hey, hold on. We, we won a game there, and we actually ended up losing and tying. And that year, BU was brutal, too. They were like a, a team Terrible. that was – I mean, their their pairwise ranking. I mean, they ended up being like in the fifties that year. Like they were awful. I mean, they had no good players. They had you know a, a couple older guys that were okay at best, but like they were brutal that year. So I, that's funny that 
that's how you remember it. Because I remember like we we tied one on after that game in Boston. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I almost called Schloss out, and I'm happy I didn't because I looked it up and I'm like, holy fuck, we didn't win a game. We did. He was right. <laughs> that's so funny. But staying on the college hockey front, and I just want to give a shout out to man the traditional powerhouses. They're back. I mean, if you're looking at the top 10, you're looking at the big board, you got BC at number one, you have Denver at two, Wisco three, obviously you got the Sioux at four, Providence five, Minis at six, Mich- Michigan's at eight, BU nine, and Mich State's at 11. I mean, these are all like the perennial t- perennial teams that are back in the mix. They're, you know, it's kind of like what's old is new again or what's new is old again. I mean, it's just in terms of, you know, it's good to see that these big boys are back because for a while there, you know, you had teams like, I mean, not, not throwing shade at these teams, but like, you know, Minnesota State was up there. You had, you know, Quinnipiac. I know Quinnipiac's still good, but some of these teams that, you know, were the, out of the mix for a little bit, it seems like they're back. And it's cool to see that, you know, the big boys are back in the mix and, you know, college hockey is kind of taking a, it seems like they're turning the clocks back a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's always good for the game. Like people like cheering against the, you know, people like cheering for the underdog. Um, but it's always good for the growth of the game to have the the big time teams playing well. It's the same, you know, it, the same goes for any league, really. I mean, the NFL does better when the Dallas Cowboys are good. You know, it's the same in every league. You know, it's you know, college football's better when Alabama's good. You know, right. and, and Ohio State and Michigan. So. I know people don't want those big schools to be good, but it is good for the game. And I do have to mention Mike Hastings going into Wisconsin. Yeah, I wanted and, to touch on I him mean, too. It just it just surely seems like he has turned it around within the snap of his finger. Now I know he has basically that whole Mankato State team that he just kind of recruited from Mankato State and just pulled them all over, which probably helps, but um no, it's just incredible. I mean even, I don't care how good of a team you have. If you're going into the Mariucci and beating the Gophers twice, sweeping them in their, you know, home rank, and then you're going to play Michigan and you're sweeping them, I don't care. That's unbelievable. That's like yeah. that's unheard of. It doesn't really happen ever. It's it's just insane. It's crazy to me too. They pull off the back-to-back sweep, and it's just crazy to think, and this is not throwing shade at a guy like Tony Granato, but how much a coach matters. And I, I think especially in college hockey. Now I know he brought all of his guys over from Mankato State, but I just think the proof is in the pudding there where a guy like Mike Hastings can make that big of a difference. I mean, they're 9-1 and one on the year. Wisco, they're ranked number three. These guys haven't probably been ranked number three in the last 10 years, if we're being honest. Like, they took a long time off and it just goes to show, like I just said, how much a coach matters and how much a winning culture matters. And again, not throwing shade at Tony Granado and his staff, but if you can kind of come in there and snap it around and bring some of your guys in, guys that know how to win, that guys that are really competing, it's pretty crazy to just think that you can just kind of turn it on just like that. And, and Wisco's back, baby. Yeah, they're back and it's good to see him back, especially in that big 10 that, needs a new winner coming out of somewhere you know i think minnesota's won it seven out of the 10 years they've they've been playing hockey now so i think 
it'd be nice to see another team win the Big Ten, um, which obviously it looks like Wisconsin's well on their way right now. We'll see. It's a long season. There's some good teams in that league, so they've got a long way to go. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's great to uh, to see some team, especially the Badgers. And, and I, I don't even know, like, can you even explain the coaching thing? Like, I don't even think I can explain it, but you're right. Like, it, it matters so much. And I guarantee you Tony Granado really wasn't doing much differently in terms of systems and practice. And it's just some yeah. some way, somehow, some of these coaches just know how to get to these college kids and – I don't know. Yeah, it's just weird. I, I just think there's there's different ways to coach. You have guys that are really good X and o, X's and O's wise. I think you have guys that are really good motivators. I think you guys have guys that are kind of in between. They're a hybrid mix of X's and O's and being a really good motivator. And I just think sometimes all you really need is a change of voice, a little bit different energy, and things can really change because they still, I mean, they have, you know, a good mix of transfers and guys that were even there last year or recruits that came in. I just think it, when you come in like Mike Hastings and from what I've heard out of there just early on, it was just establishing, you know, or reestablishing that Wisconsin hockey culture. And I think he really got through to those guys with, you know, how they're going to work out, how they're going to prepare, what's going to be different about their practice days, different things that I think you can come in and kind of implement your own systems or tactics. And it seems to be that, you know, it's really working. And that's a guy, wherever he's coached Ozzy, he's won. You know, he's, he started as an assistant, I believe at Minnesota. So he, you know, studied under Donnie Lucia and just having those winning teams at Minnesota. Then he goes to, you know, Nebraska, Omaha, he works a little bit with Dean blaze and they really turned it around there. And then he goes to Mankato and has success himself. So I just think a guy like that, I mean, he's he's just a proven winner and a guy that really knows how to get it done. And he's coached world junior teams to gold. So Mike Hastings, whatever he has, um, he has that it factor. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, something about having the room too. Like I know there are some, you know, sometimes there is a good coach and he's doing everything right. He just kind of lost the room and the players just don't react to what they're saying and what they're doing and they just don't believe in what they're doing and you know that's a thing too and that's that might have what that's very well could be what happened with Granado too because I think you know everything I know about the Granado family and Tony Granado I know him personally he's an unbelievable dude so I I just you know maybe there's some some bit of that where just the players kind of just lost interest interest which which does happen. 100%. And last little thing before we segue into our NFL Week 9 little recap. I think anyone arguing that the CHL in terms of major junior is on par with college hockey. And as I watch college hockey games throughout the Big Ten, you know, Hockey East, the NCHC, college hockey has gotten progressively better every year for the last five to ten years, I want to say. And, man, there are so many good players in college. It's not even close between major, junior, and college right now. Like, college teams are older. They're also younger with higher-end prospects. They have that mix. And CHL teams with kids, you know, between 16 and 20, uh, they're more so on par with the USHL, I know, I want to say, because I'm watching college hockey games, and I'm like, even that series we were up there with Minnesota in North Dakota, I'm like, holy fuck, these guys are snapping it around. Oh, they're so sharp out there. They're so dialed. You know, I think you could put a little bit of on, on it that they play less games. So they're more focused on the games that they're playing, which I know does have a factor, you know, like 
when you're playing juniors, there's always a couple throwaway games during the week. It's like, let's just fucking get through this one and get up, you know, move on, which happens even in that national league. I'm sure, you know, when you're on a, you're on the back end of a three and four or something. So you just yeah. don't get that in college, but yeah, you're right. I mean, when you watch a college team, especially those higher end teams, it's like, Jesus Christ, I can't even believe I played out there at one point. It's like, uh, are, are they like twice as good as, they, as we used to be? Cause I can't even picture myself on the sheet right now. You're playing a Tuesday in Peterborough, you know, game 62 of the year. It's like, that just doesn't have the same intensity probably as a, as a home and home in, in college hockey or just a home series versus, you know, go through. But yeah, I think the, the kids are getting better. I mean, you just look at everything is getting better. You're looking at their fucking, we were in a, sitting in a goddamn waterbed when we were touring the, you know, UND facilities. Like it's just, these guys have everything they need. So it's, it only makes sense um, in terms of where the game is going, but Boys, want to get into NFL Week 9. I guess we'll start with you, Ozzy. Well, actually, you know what? Let's back it up here. we got to talk about something collectively as a group first before we get to Sally of the Week. we got to talk about Thonggate. And for those who saw it during the week or the weekend, a Philadelphia Eagles staffer somehow kind of either collides with someone on the sidelines or basically goes down. And as he's going down, his shirt lifts up and the camera goes right to him because the ball or whatever the play was kind of came to a halt on the sideline. And this guy is wearing what appears to be, now he denied it, but it appears to be that he's wearing a thong or some sort of underwear that is kind of like an old school jock strap you see in hockey, you know, similar to what we could wear back in the day with the garter belt and the nut cup and then, you know, the back basically being like, assless chaps but this guy was wearing some sort of thong or lingerie piece but i wanted to get your uh take on this ozzy and mace healthy debate is a thong is that comfortable for a dude i, I was trying to add it up in my head like what, what's going on there <laughs> mace what are your thoughts on this one because i i've thought um, about this for a while i i don't know I, it's I insane mean, if he actually was wearing a thong, that's absolutely criminal. I mean, just imagine your bare ass on some jeans. Like, I can't imagine that feeling. That would just and be especially, wild. like, it getting hiked up, Mace, you know what I mean? Like, in a, and, like, hiked up <laughs> in the back, you got the fucking, you know, you're wearing the dental floss in the back. And then what are your nuts doing in front? Because, like, that's not a big piece of, of you know, they real estate the in front. Or what? <laughs> yeah, like, are you, are you splitting it right down this package? Or what's going on there? <laughs> Like, oh man! Oh man! Uh, it it brought me back to like the longest yard and like Tracy Morgan and Brucey, you know, like the the girls that are guys. I don't know. I don't know if it was a thong or not, but I mean, just thinking in terms of what you got working down there. I know Oz, you got one nut now, so it might be all right. But what the fuck is going on? No, I mean, I've I've often, you know, even before. This is this this isn't the first time we've seen a dude wearing a thong either. I can't remember like there's kind of been a little fad like I've seen a few guys like wearing thongs, but I've always wondered this when I was a kid because I'd see you know girls wearing these thongs. And I'd ask them you know when I was in school or whatever like, hey like you actually like wear those thongs like is that comfortable? And like some of the girls are like yeah it's like actually really comfortable. It doesn't like ride up or anything. You don't even notice it. So maybe there is some truth to that thong. Maybe there is a reason why they're wearing them. And maybe this guy has found out 
you know, why these women are wearing these thongs. And he's like, you know what? They're they're These women are smart and I'm going to fucking wear a thong myself. And obviously he's going to deny it because he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, well, yeah, NFL but- I'm not wearing a fucking thong. What are you supposed to play? What are you supposed to say? You're playing arguably the most masculine sport known to man, and all of a sudden you get whatever knocked down on the sidelines. You got a turd cutter on. Like, what's going on over there? Like, I don't know. I, I was in a disbelief because I was actually watching that game and I kept rewinding it. Then I went to Twitter and I was like, man, there's no way that's not some sort of thong gitch or whatever it is, like, or a, a jock strap. I, I don't know. It was a. Uh, it was funny, needless to say, and I just wanted to get your guys' take on that because uh, I, that can't be comfortable. And, um, yeah, so I just want to touch on that. But moving along from Thonggate, uh, we'll get into Selly of the Week. Azo, I wanted to start with you. What did you see out there in terms of Selly of the Week, Week 9, brother? Yeah, I'm going to... I'm kind of going off the rails with this one because we've got so many sellies out there in sports being played. Um, so I'm actually going to go with my favorite sellie of the week. Coming from the NHL, um, it's going to be the lady who threw her bra on the ice after the hat trick, the poppy hat trick AM 34. That is all time. Shed the bra, take the nukes out, and just launch the bra on the ice. All time, I don't know if I've ever seen that done. I I, I had to mention that one as my sellie of the week because I didn't really notice any uh, favorites from the NFL. So, dude, just speaking on that and kind of touching on that, I mean, number one, unbelievable. The guy's got three hat tricks and you know eleven or twelve games now. We'll get to him later, but just even despite that, like that looked like a solid set. I mean, that that brawl was pretty big. I don't I don't know. Like that's a decent set of nukes right there. Like oh my fun bags. Shit. Like, Absolute Oh, my Nick Cannons. A couple piss missiles right there. Is that a natural set? I have so many questions for her, too. We got Thonggate. We got nukes out. I mean, it's been a hell of a week. But, Mace, I wanted to send it over to you, your Selly of the Week brother. A couple days ago, I saw this uh, touchdown celebration from this Twitter account. And it's some high school in, I don't know, somewhere in the north. There's tons of snow at the end of the end zone. Huge mountains of it. And I don't know if it's a running back, wide receiver, or what, but he's uh, finishing his play right when he gets into the end zone. I can't even see it. Does he he dive into the snowbank? Yep. He dives into the snowbank. I saw that one. Yeah, that was awesome. Spread eagle, full over. I mean, I fucking love that. Some some offensive lineman comes running up the snow pile chasing him. So I had to shout that one out. Love that. Nothing better than selling into the snow, especially at Lambeau Field. But that's neither here nor there either because that's my team and they stink right now, even though they won. Boys, my selly of the week, I don't know if you caught it. It was hilarious. The Las Vegas Raiders celebrating a win and the firing of Josh McDaniels by blowing stogies (laughs) in the locker room as they move to four and five. I mean, how funny is that? Like they beat the New York football giants and they're lighting up in the locker room, like dancing, <laughs> popping their heads. I mean, it was like they won the fucking Super Bowl, dude. Who lights up just in the middle of the locker room? That's so Raiders football. It's insane. Oh, classic Raiders football, baby. Just stoking up a stogie or three and five or something. Yeah, what, they moved they? to four and five. Six, four and five. <laughs> Let's let's light one up. The the head boss is gone. We all hated him. 
Yeah. Our fucking quarterback who stinks is gone. We hate him. And now was, we're rolling, baby. Let's go. It was so funny, too, because, I mean, their head coach now was just a certified G when he played. Interim head coach Antonio Pierce. Do you remember that big fella for the New York football giants when they won? I mean, he was a beast. I believe he was like a D tackle or a D end. I mean, that guy would fucking annihilate guys. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, before we move on from this one, we do have to shout out. Um, I forgot to mention this one. OBJ scores his first touchdown with the Ravens. Does a sick little dance. I don't know what you want to call it. Pretty cool. But then if you saw the Ravens sideline, the Ravens sideline went absolutely apeshit. They were so pumped for him. Um, just a feel good moment. You know, I think that's been a long time coming for OBJ. So I had to shout that one out. For it's sure. And I believe it was Parks Height Strut. Okay. What is it? Parks Height Strut. It's a huge thing in Baltimore. I, that was one of my other ones. And I looked that up. It's like a huge Baltimore dance. Apparently. So he, he's buying into the people, man, Baltimore, that city, yeah. that city's, it's trill. That city's, I mean, that's pretty nails of a city. OBJ though, I think it was his 31st birthday, I want to say. So, you know, good to see him get back on the board. Boys, before we get to our picks, a couple guys I want to shout out. Did you see the running back from the Houston Texans hit that 29 yard oh. field goal? How sick was that? And I'm going to kind of, pretend to pronounce this guy's name right i believe it was it's it's spelled like dare but dyer i think it's ogun i don't even know how to pronounce like ogun oganobly or something like that yeah. like, ogunobly maybe he was a former badger <laughs> okay so what happened there i believe the kicker went down with some sort of quad injury and on their 53 man roster they only carry one kicker so this fella steps up to the plate and actually like in a kind of a pivotal point in the game hits a 29 yarder. I mean, it was, that's, you know, I mean, it's not, it's a chip shot, but still live game, live action. That's a, that's a nice little kick there. Talk about a guy, anytime a running back or some other player can knock down a field goal. Yeah. It's such a cool moment. Cause I mean, let's be honest. If the stadium is full, man, I don't care who you are. That's fucking hard to do. 100%. I mean, that's like when they call in like the right fielder or someone to pitch when they ran through the bullpen and they're down like 14 to two in the top of the seventh. But this was actually a high stakes moment where, I mean, they needed that kick and this guy, he put it right through the uprights. But a couple other guys I wanted to shout out, uh, Joey Burrow, he's back. He's playing butter. Josh Dobbs. I mean, we'll touch on that a little bit in terms of when we get into nail gun of the week and different things like that. But what a game from him. 20 for 30, 158, two titters, also rushed, rushed for a TD. So, I mean, basically doing it on like two or three days notice and, and get picked up by the team. But wanted to get into our picks, boys. Azo, you were one and one. You hit with the Bucks plus three. Uh, they covered that fell even though they lost. That was a 39-37 shootout in that game we just touched on. And the Titans weren't able to cover plus two and a half, a.k.a. two and a hook. Lost 20 to 16 to Mike Tomlin Steelers. So touch on those, Ozzo, anything you got or just moving right along, brother. Yeah, no, I, I it was looking good. If, you know, I almost took Bucks money line on that Houston game and thank God I didn't. Um Fuck man, CJ Stroud, holy Christ. Where, yeah, he's, he's how, legit. 
I mean, do you burn down the stadium if you're the Carolina Panthers? You just missed out on that guy and you took Bryce Young instead? I mean, I would be kicking myself in the ass for that for years. I mean, is it too – I don't think it's too early to say, like, Stroud, he's going to be a problem in this league for a long time coming. I mean, I I think I've seen enough. I mean, he just put up, what, 490 yards and five touchdowns. It's like you don't do that if you're fake. No, and I, as long as he doesn't get involved in any, you know, tug gates like the, the former there in Deshaun Watson, I think that kid is legit. He's fun to watch. The Texans might have something brewing there. We'll see. I think they're, I don't know, they're still a ways away, but anytime you got a quarterback that can sling it, like a young Uncle Rico, uh, you got a chance to win. So they look good. We'll see next week how they do. Uh, I believe they have Joey Burrow. So that will be a game we'll get into in a little bit. Mace. Well, fella, one pick, one hit. The L.A. Chargers, minus three, handled, handled the Jets. That was 27-6. That was a routing over at Jet Life Stadium on a Monday night. So touch on that, fella. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, by the way, looks good. He was seen talking to someone on the Chargers just post-game there. They were asking him, like, hey, hey, fella, when you back? He's like, give me a couple weeks. So, Mace, touch on anything there, baby. Great, great pick, Mason. I want to pump your tires too because before that game, you did say the Chargers got a good D, and my God, it looked like they had a great D that game. That was probably the worst game of the season. I mean, one of the worst games of the season. That was so boring. I mean, there was like one touchdown before half or something like that, but I don't know. It was not an offensive game. The Chargers' defense took it to them, but I'm still going to pick them again this week. Ride him, fella. And, yeah, that was funny because we did our picks last week, and I was throwing out an absolute prayer. Not a prayer, but I thought the Jets at home with their D, they could, you know, maybe get it done against Herbert. But, fuck, fella. I took that one on the chin. The Jets plus three. We just touched on that. But my boy, Joey Burrow, got me to 500. Cincy routes the Buffalo Bills. That was 24-8. That was a great win. So, Burrow stays hot. He looks good. Crispy rice, spicy tuna there. Fellas, getting into next week's picks. Uh, Azo, we'll start at the top with you, bro. What are you liking in terms of week 10 for your lock of the week? Oh, man, I was I was debating on this. Um, I am going to – I wanted – I was debating going Houston plus seven at Cincy. I'm going to pass on that one. I I do believe in Stroud, but then Joey Burrow's just Joey Burrow. It's insane. Um, but I'm going to go with the Jags plus three at home versus the Niners. I don't think the Niners are playing well right now. I don't think they're as good as they were to start the season. They got some injuries. Um, and I think the Jags are for real, man. And they're playing at home and they're the dogs at home. That to me is a is a surefire. You know, I'm going to take them. I believe in them. Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson down there. Um, and then for my second one, I'm going to do it to you guys. Minnesota is dogs at home plus two point five against the Saints. Ain't no way Derek Carr's coming in with the five hundred Saints team, and he's favored. Get the fuck out of here. Okay, I don't give a shit who the Vikings have a quarterback. You're not favoring Derek Carr and the Saints on the road at the bank. You know, no, no. We're chance. doubling down on Joshy, no eyebrows, 
Dobbs, and we're going with Trevor Sunshine from Remember the Titans, Lawrence. I like that pick. Man, if Dobbsy can do it again, like, give this guy the fucking key to the city. I don't care if they're playing the Saints. I don't even care if they're playing a team in the SEC. If this guy can get it done, man, Minnesota, they might have found their savior, you know, for the time being. You know, if he can kind of will this team, even for a chance, a chicken dick's chance to get in the playoffs, that would be amazing. If the Saints defense scares me, but if Josh Jobs can do it this week, I think he's got the job. Joshy, stay hot. Mace Dog, what do you got, baby? Said you're taking the Chargers? Yep. They're playing Lions. Lions are coming off the bye week. I mean, right before the bye week, they didn't look that great. Um, But I guess neither did the Chargers offense last week. So I think it's going to be a close game. It's plus one and a half in the Chargers. So, yeah, that's what I'm taking. I think... Justin Herbert's going to bounce back this week and light it up. I think you got to ride your guys. I'm doing the same. I'm taking Joey Burrow again to stay hot. I'm going to be riding this guy until he does me wrong. So I got that at minus seven or minus seven in a hook versus CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans. So we'll see if he can stay hot there, boys. That was week nine. We have our week 10 predictions in the National Football League. A lot of good stuff there. Folks, send us any celebrations, too, you might want to see. I'm always, uh, you know, trying to dial those in in terms of, you know, sellies of the week or just funny shit. So if you're listening out there and you're watching Hung on a Sunday, please send those in. Boys, turning the page and over to the National Hockey League. I want to start at the top with the Ottawa Senators. Man, these guys just seem like a dumpster fire right now. In last place in the Atlantic Division. The Shane Pinto parlay saga. But the real thing I wanted to touch on, you know, despite all their the losing, the fans kind of booing them off the ice, like drama with the coach. I thought this was just crazy in terms of how they ended up losing that first round pick. So basically the Ottawa Senators, if you back it up, have to forfeit a first round pick either next year, 2025 or 2026. I believe they can pick, you know, sometime in and around the draft what year they want to forfeit that pick. So obviously, you know, if they have a down year or stay like they are right now, it probably wouldn't be the best play because, you know, they'll have a top five pick, top 10 pick, but maybe one of these years they can, you know, you know, will their way into the playoffs and give up one later down the road. But basically from my understanding with this whole Evgeny Datnov situation, why they had to forfeit the pick was basically It came down to a trade call where Pierre Dorian, the former GM, provided both teams in the NHL registry that Datnoff didn't have trade protection, which was taken as gospel. So when the Vegas Golden Knights were trying to trade this guy, they weren't made aware at the time that this guy had a no trade clause or trade list. I believe it was a 10 team list that he could submit and did submit into the league um, at the time when he signed the contract with Ottawa. So he goes to Vegas and Vegas is thinking, well, shit, you know, we want to get rid of this guy. So they end up trying to trade Datnov. They trade him to Anaheim, which he had submitted Anaheim, the Ducks, on his no trade list, which is crazy to me that he didn't want to go to Newport Beach. But anyways, so Vegas tries to trade this guy to the Ducks, only to have that news come back from his agent that Anaheim was not They were on that list. They were on the no trade list. So he packs his stuff up. He gets traded from Vegas. He gets traded back to Vegas or just, you know, basically has to come back to the team 
that just tried to trade him, which created just such an awkward situation a couple of years ago. And it took about two years for them to kind of work through this in terms of what the penalty was going to be. So Gary Bettman, about a week ago, came back, you know, through the NHL and said, you know what, Ottawa, you have to forfeit one of your picks because you mishandled this. And, you know, it created a shitstorm for Vegas and Anaheim at the time. Then now recent times, this Michael Anlauer guy, who is now the new proud owner of the Ottawa Senators, wasn't made aware of this prior to purchasing the team. So, Ozzy, I just wanted to ask you, like, that's like buying a car and then realizing, hey, the guy that sold you the car is like, hey, oh, by the way, the, you know, the transmission's fucked, the engine's blew out, you don't have a steering wheel. Like, how is that even possible? Like, how are they not made aware of this, that they potentially are going to lose a first round pick? before you buy the team. I mean, that seems criminal, no? It does. It, it's ridiculous. And I think if you're related to a car and a car salesman, you know, he's telling you something under the hood, it's good. Um, when it's not, you know, that's fucked. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to put some, I'm going to put some blame on the guy who bought that. What would you say the guy, the new owner's name is? It's Michael Anlauer. So he's like a Canadian businessman. He actually owned 10% stake in the Montreal Canadiens. He ended up selling that. I believe he got like $250 million and then turned around and bought the Ottawa Senators for just under a billy. Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, here's the deal. It's like if I'm buying an NHL team um, and, and you're, you're obviously – it's a business for you. You're trying to make money off this team. Um You'd think, you know, if I'm looking into buying this team, just like I'm looking into buying any other business, okay, what are important for the future? What's important for my future of the team? Uh, let's let's take a look at draft picks, maybe. Um, maybe if we traded away any recently, uh, if if we got any in return for trades, you know, what are what is what's my future looking like? You know, tell me my draft picks. This fucking guy didn't go through any of that before he bought the team. It's like, how is that even possible? How are you not how are you not asking about trade? How are you not asking about the draft, your picks? How is someone now this guy's obviously what a billionaire? How does a billionaire have a team? He's probably got a team of cronies, you know, 10 guys or whatever, that do all of his research, all of his stuff for him, you know. He's got assistants out the ass, probably. How does no one on his team bring this to him and tell him, you know, Hey, we actually lost one of our draft picks here. I did right. not know that. I mean, it's right, just yeah. insane. Yeah. Or just like the potential of this, you know, maybe happening. Hey, we ran in this situation a couple of years ago, this Datnoff, yeah. you know, he presented a, a trade list. We forgot about it. Then we didn't tell Vegas about that. Then they Vegas ends up trying to flip this guy to Anaheim and en ends up he has, you know, Datnov has Anaheim on his no trade list. So that was our fault. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that that happens. And then, you know, this Anlauer guy gets news of that. So he kind of comes out and bashes Gary Bettman a little bit. And he's pissed off and rightfully so. But how was he not made aware of this possible investigation and then <laughs> ends up just firing Pierre Dorian just right on the spot, like, hey, buddy, pack your shit. Like, you're you're done. Like, I don't know. It's just crazy because I think that Pierre Dorian, like, he did a pretty good job with that team. I mean, he got Brady Kachuk under contract, that Tim Stutzla, Jake Sanderson. He got all these young guys, Josh Norris, locked up on pretty fair, you know, deals at an AAV that's yeah. going to look really good in a couple of years. And I think that core is now locked in. And, yeah, they're not doing great this year. But I think, you know, eventually over the next five, six, seven years or maybe even sooner will be a legit contender. So 
I just think that whole place is a dumpster fire right now. I mean, you got Parlay Pinto, you got this Datnoff thing that's like two years removed and all of a sudden bites him in the ass. You got a new owner who's pissed off already. You got a coach that in the month of November, you know, during his time or tenure in Ottawa, this DJ Smith, they're 520 and two. Like, it's just, it's not perfect. They have a big game on Wednesday night. They're going to go play their provincial rival in terms of going to face off against a mats 34 in Toronto. So that'll be a big game. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out, but I just, I think it's a dumpster fire there and you know, you got your captain barking back at the fans. So we'll see how that plays out, but Ozzy getting on to what we just talked about a little bit there and touched on the Toronto Maple Leafs and a mats 34, three hat tricks, 12 games, had two last night, two and one, willed his team back uh, to a victory against Tampa Bay. I believe they were down 3-0 or 3-1. The guy has 13 tucks in 12 games. I mean, can he get 80 if he stays healthy? He played last year with one wrist and had 40. I mean, he couldn't even saw himself off on the right side with that wrist. Now, like, look at this guy. I mean, 13 tucks, 12 games over a goal a game. I mean, I, I think 70s in play. And I think if he really stays on this heater, man, I, I don't know. Like, is he Solani like his rookie year when Solani got 76? I don't know. It's just crazy, man. Yeah, it, it's nuts. And the Leafs are so funny to me too, because like you look at a team who's got Mitch Marner, Johnny Tavares, Willie Nylander, Austin Matthews, and you're like, how does this team lose? And then you take a look at their back end, and then you're like, holy fuck, I don't know if any one of these guys would play on a fucking American League team. And then you're like, oh, that makes sense. That's why they haven't won anything. They got to figure something out in the back end, man. Their forwards are obviously stacked. They got to get some guys in the back end. I don't know what their goalie situation is like this year. I don't think it's good again. They just got to figure that out, man. They got to do something for these guys. It's wild that you mentioned that, and I, I love that you talk about their back end because even here in my notes, my game notes over here, live from Scottsdale, I look at that team and they're they're D man. I mean, the goalie is one thing. They have Samsonov and Wall and that tandem. I mean, there's a bunch of question marks there in terms of this Joseph Wall. Can he be legit? He's a young kid. Can he push him over the edge? But you look at their back end and to play at playoff time when it truly matters. I mean, I think they're a playoff team. But when you get into the playoffs, you need big, heavy D that defend the net. They defend the blue paint. They gobble guys up from the inside out. You don't let them get over the blue line. You don't let them get out of the corner. And when they try to get to the net, the stick's in their face. You know, they're they're getting boxed out. It's heavy hockey, making it so hard for the opponent to play against. And they have none of those guys. I mean, they're number one defenseman. I like his game in Morgan Riley, but I think he's a number two on a really good team. John Klinberg, he's soft. This Lilligren, he's soft. I play with him in Toronto. I mean, great puck movers, but that doesn't win in April, May, June. I mean, if you look at the last cup winners, you look at Vegas, you look at their back end, Petrangelo, 6'4". Braden McNabb, he'll throw you through the fourth row. Zach Whitecloud, Theodore Martinez, that Nick Hague, he can throw both ways. He's a beast. Even if you look at Tampa when they won it, Victor Hedman, that Eric Cernak, Luke Shend, Sergachev, Sergey McDonough, Bogosian. Like these guys are big, heavy fucking bodies. You know, puck moving is one thing if you have one or two guys that can do it, but the Leafs don't have that. Headman or that Petrangelo who's 6'4", 220, and just can be that fucking anchor back there and, you know, and surround him with big, heavy bodies that move the puck decently. But also, Ozzy, you, 
you know at playoff time, man, it, you can't allow those teams to get to the net. You have to be pricks, and they don't have any of those guys on their back end. No, none. And yeah, it, it it's it's a tough deal. Like I'm thinking of I'm a GM in, in the NHL. You know, you obviously got to put you got you got to put together a team that's going to get you to the playoffs. Okay. But then once you get to the playoffs, it's a completely different game. Your players who are good in the regular season, they may not be good in the playoffs. And your players who are average in the regular season who really didn't get you to the playoffs, they might be fucking really good in the playoffs and you need them in the playoffs. So it's it's a tough balance to have there. But yeah, I mean, you you need those you need to play tough D in the playoffs and you got to be hard. You got to be re- very hard to play against. And right now I don't see any defenseman on the Toronto Maple Leafs that's tough to play against. Like they you need to be hard to play against in in hockey. It's one of the only sports where I think the playoffs is a completely different game from the regular season. It's not even close and you got to plan for that and I just don't think the, the Maple Leafs are are planning for that. Yeah, I agree. And I just think as a guy that's been inside those walls, yes, I was on the American Hockey League team that year when I went into camp. But I just think I don't know if it's really changed in terms of now they have the new general manager at the realm and Brad Trevelyan. But before, and I know, and especially under Kyle Dubas, who brought in Sheldon Keefe, they were always looking for the analytical darlings in terms of guys that could really be good when you plug them into a system. Guys that were really good puck movers, really skilled. They had a a way they wanted to play. It was almost like a European style of hockey where it's very puck possession based. You bring it back. You always bring it back almost like kind of like soccer. And then you go north with a five-man unit versus playing a really heavy north game, which I think, you know, a mix of that is good. But just looking at their back end, man, I don't know. It just, they don't scream like they have anyone tough to play against. I mean, who's the toughest guy they have back there? Is it probably Jake McCabe? I mean, he's a solid, you know, pretty good five, I would say. But in terms of anyone else, you have an older Giordano, you have TJ Brody, you have this Lilligren, you have Morgan Riley, you have Klinberg. I mean, dude, a, a team like Boston or some of these heavier teams, even Tampa Bay, like, I'm licking my chops if I'm those fours in Tampa Bay and I'm playing against Johnny Klinberg, especially at playoff time. I mean, he's he's not exactly first on the puck, you know, in terms of a break oh, no. you know? So it's just uh, – it'll be interesting to see because I think I just think it's the same song and dance. And the defensemen that we're talking about, they don't grow on trees. But, I mean, they could even have went and got – I would have liked them to go get a guy like Radko Gudis versus John Klinberg. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like Klinberg, you have him in Lilligren. That's the same guy. They're they're both Swedes. They're right shots. They skate well. They're a little vanilla. And again, at playoff time, man, you got to be able to take those hits. And I just don't think those those guys are the answer. No, I don't think so either. And you mentioned Radko Gudis, and I got to bring this up. It's a little tangent, but it was. I don't know if I want to say it's funny, but it was it was ridiculous of the Anaheim cannot or Anaheim Ducks to tweet this out. So Radko Gudis, I think like a day or two after the Adam Johnson deal, Radko Gudis's nickname is the butcher. And he blew this guy up on, on Arizona. I think it might've been Kells. Yeah, it was. Um, and the, he blows Kells up and like falls over him and his skates like kind of go by his face. And the ducks tweeted out like the butcher, oh, the butcher takes down another one. And it's like, Holy fuck here. Read the climate. Read the climate. Social media guy. Like we just had a guy got his guy just died on the ice from that. Like you probably you probably just don't say like Gudis's nickname the butcher. Like right. I don't know. Like he's, just, 
Can you put two and two together there, fella? Are you just fresh off a one hitter walking into Honda Center there? Are you whacking the bong? Like, let's have a little bit of a clue here, fella. Let's get with the times. But yeah, that's uh, that's not perfect. Thursday, Ozzy, want to touch on this quickly. The all eyes on game in terms of the Edmonton Oilers, who are again, they're another dumpster fire right now. I don't know what the hell they're going to do, but it just seems like this game on Thursday. I think Jay Woodcroft, their head coach, his job is on the line. They're in Man Jose on Thursday, so I think we have to be glued to the TV with that one. San Jose plays tonight, uh, Tuesday we're recording. They are playing the Philadelphia Flyers. They are still winless. They've been getting a 9 spot, a 10 spot put on them. Their GM's calling out players saying this is unacceptable. I mean, I don't know what the hell you do in San Jose other than just pray to fuck that you get the first overall pick. Because we've touched on it before. I mean, it's just, it ain't pretty in San Jose. That's basically a glorified American Hockey League roster. And that's no disrespect to their players. They just, they don't look good over there. But if you're McDavid and you're Dreisaitl, like, what do you need? I mean, obviously, they put Jack Campbell, a.k.a. Soup Dog, on waivers today. I don't know what that solves. He's going to go down to Bakersfield, go snap it around with our boy Drake Kajula, uh, get probably, you know, just get some games and hopefully get back on a, you know, on the right track there, but they're calling up this Calvin Picard, who's a journeyman in terms of a goalie that can kind of ignite the flame. Maybe you never know how that goes, but what does this team need right now? I mean, I think I'm leaning towards, I tweeted out last night. I think they need a team rager, maybe in McDusty's hot tub, maybe tonight just to blow the roof off. And if that doesn't work, man, I think you got to look at changing up the bench boss because it just doesn't seem like they're very well connected right now. And emotions are boiling over in E-Town. Yeah, and and we just I think it's a classic case of I think the Oilers have a lot of pressure on them because they have Dry Saddle and, and McDavid, so all the players kind of feel that pressure, like we gotta win for these guys because they do deserve it. Um and I think they started off slow this season. And you know, like I said before, some of these coaches like Woodcroft, I don't know, seemed like he had a good season last year at the Oilers. It seemed like they liked him. But now, you know, has he lost the room? And like I said, once, once a coach loses the room, he's fucked, you know, there's nothing he says is going to work. And, and I think that's the only solution to this right now. And that I'm trying to call for a guy's job. Um, but I just think you need some new blood in there. I, I don't think it's an X's and O's thing right now. It's kind of just a motivational thing. You got to get those boys going. Right. And it's not so much about the coach. It's just about okay, now a manager has to make a move. So you send down your goalie that was supposed to be your franchise goalie. That's step one. You know, he's going to go down to the jungle that kind of gets the boys' attention. Then step two is, okay, how do we do we make a trade if this doesn't work out or do we bring in a new coach in terms of just getting a new voice in there? Because, again, then that shocks the players. Like, oh, fuck, we got to get our asses in gear. And I know from just experience of being around a team, especially when in St. Louis, I mean, the year they won the Cup, Mike Yo right around this time gets fired. They bring in Craig Berube, who was the assistant coach, the associate coach. And now you're like looking around. It's like, okay, well, fuck, we got to kick our asses in gear here because, you know, clearly we just lost our coach and this is our fault. You know, that's how players think. So I don't know, maybe yeah. just a mix up like that, something to just ignite the team. And I don't think that team is, I, I picked them as my cup favorite, but just even watching them, their back end, again, they're not very good. The goaltending issue. Yes. You have two of the best players in the world, but they can only carry you so far. So it'll be interesting to see Thursday night 
what happens in San Jose because if they lose to the San Jose Sharks, who might be winless at the time, we'll see how they do tonight versus the Philadelphia Flyers. But if San Jose is winless and Edmonton loses that game to give San Jose their first win of the year, I mean, you got to be thinking, Woodcroft, you pack your shit, fella. You know, oh, <laughs> it's just like you hate to say it, over. but yeah. So be interesting to see what happens there. Last little bit on the National Hockey League here, a.k.a. the National Azo. The Canucks are flying high, brother. They improved to 9-2-1 and one on the year. These guys look great. I mean, I think they're playing hard for Ricky Tockett. I think Ricky Tockett is a good mix between an old-school beauty players coach and, um, you know, pretty good tactically in terms of knowing the game. He's a guy that's been around the game for a bunch, almost 900 points, I believe, as a player. He was a guy that threw both ways, tough as nails. Guys really respect talk. And he has them playing well. I mean, our guy, shout out to Brock Besser, friend of the show, golf trip guy, 10 goals on the year. JT Miller, 18 points in 12 games. Demko looks great. He's kicking. The pillows look good there. So they're second in the Pacific. But just touch on the Canucks, touch on Bess a little bit because he needed a rebound year. And so far, I mean, 10 goals this early, 15 games. It's a good start. It's a good start, Broccoli. It's a good start for our boy Bess. I'm pumped for him, obviously. Um, I think he's deserved a good season for a while. I think he's dealt with, you know, some wrist injuries that um, obviously hurt a guy who, who was put on the ice to score goals and shoot the puck. But I think, you know, when you <clears throat> when you look at the Canucks, there's something to be said about guys on their contract years. And I think it, it, the stars are kind of aligning for the Canucks right now. I mean, they got the leading score in the league with Elias Pettersson. They've got the leading um, score for defensemen in the league with Quinn Hughes. I think Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson are one and two in the league for points right now. And you've got all these guys on their team who are in contract years. They need to put up a good season, and they just have that motivation. And like you said, they got Tockett there. I think they appreciate him. They're working hard for him. Um, I just think all the stars are aligning for them right now. They seem to be having fun. They seem to be having a good time, which is kind of unusual for the Canucks the last five years or so. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they how they battle past this season. Um, obviously, you know, teams go through skids or they start off hot and they fall off, which very well could happen. I mean, that'd be very, um, that'd be very Vancouver Canucks-like. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm pumped for them, and I think, you know, I just think those guys were on contract years. You know, people don't talk about that enough. It's like whenever you get a guy on a contract year and he's like, I got to have a good season to set myself up for the future. That is so much motivation for that player to give a little more each game, you know, take that extra step, go into that corner one more time, block that one shot, you know, do a little extra off the ice so you can make a little more coin the next season. That's a huge motivational factor. And I think that's what they're using right now. To, to fuel them to the start of the season. 100%. You're always a little hungry on that contract season. And shout out to Tox. Just want to touch on this, Ozzy. How sick of a nickname is Tox nickname? The Real Rocket 22. Like, I ain't Maurice Richard, fella. I ain't the Rocket. I'm the Real Rocket. I just think that's such a nail gun <laughs> nickname in terms of, uh, you know, just icons of the game. He's a legend of the game, so... Shout out to Ricky Tockett. I know you're not listening, but uh, full-time beauty. Whiskey drinker. Love it. So, boys, last little bit here before we send it over to Anna Dua in our interview portion of this episode. 
Let's get our nail guns of the week out there. Mace Daddy, I want to start with you. Who did we have for the nail gun of the week for this epi? Yeah, um, my first one originally was going to be that Houston kicker. I mean, I saw that. That shit was hilarious. Um, Hats off to him. That was great. Um, But my actual nail gun of the week is going to be Cam Newton. Um, This didn't happen now. This is from a while ago, but I saw a story that that. was talking about him. And um, Cam Newton says, ex-Panthers quarterback Jimmy Clausen once tried to charge him $1 million for jersey number when he was in the NFL. Cam Newton said, boy, kiss my ass. People don't make millions in a lifetime, let alone I'll give you a million just for a fucking number. Clausen then came back and said he'll do it for 750000 instead. Cam hung up the phone on him, told himself he'll stick with the number one jersey, and said, that will be the last time Jimmy Clausen will ever be heard in the Carolina. <laughs> Fig Newton telling <laughs> it how it is. That Clausen was such a weird character, too. I remember him. He was a strange bird. You gotta be so weird. This guy's Heisman number one overall draft pick. I mean, the guy moves on, goes on to win. You know, almost win a Super Bowl. He gets an MVP, and this guy's coming in, and you're the backup quarterback, and you won't give him his fucking number. Like, come on, man! You gotta be so weird to pull that move. Yeah, I mean, Clawson was always out there. I always thought he was on like a, a micro dose of mushrooms or maybe a tab of acid at all times because he was a he was a weird dude. Where did he play at Notre Dame again? Jimmy Clausen? I think so. Okay, yeah. But I, I like that story there. Uh, Mace, Fig Newton fella. I missed watching that guy play. So, Ozzy, what did you have for your nail gun of the week? Yeah, I got to go with my boys again here, obviously. Um, I'm going to shout out Josh Dobbs and, and Kevin O'Connell, KOC. Um, Dobbsy, obviously, I think he's hyped up. He's hyped up. It's like that first NHL game um, where the guy almost, you know, everyone knows everyone's first NHL game and there's a good chance he's going to score a goal because he's so hyped up on adrenaline and he's pumped up. You know, I think that was the case with Dobbsy here. But I just think it's so sick to hear the story about KOC um, and how he play called throughout the game. And Mark Sanchez, Mark Sanchez had a similar moment when he went and played for the commanders or uh, the Redskins at the time. Um, Same thing happened. Colt McCoy goes down, Mark Sanchez, three days, you know, doesn't know the playbook, doesn't know anyone on the team. And KOC walks him through each play. Um, They were on the New York Jets together, and he, he explains each play like the old Jets playbook, but translates it to the current playbook. And it sounded like that's what that's exactly what KOC did in this game in Atlanta for Josh Dobbs. And I think that is just so fucking wizard-esque. I mean, that is Gandalf shit, you know, to be able to explain the play that much and um, ultimately go on to win the game from your play calling and, and ex- explanation of the plays and kind of walking him through the whole thing, telling him what his options are going to be, where to look. Um it's just insane. Some of those football coaches have that. They know the playbook that well in and out. Um, their memories are just so sharp. So I got to shout out KOC and Dobbsy for pulling off that win in Atlanta. Unbelievable stuff. Yep. That was, uh, I mean, just not a Minnesota miracle, but great win for them. Dobbsy, you know, for a journeyman, a suitcase guy that's flying Southwest here and there. Um, uh, 
great to see him get it done. My nail gun of the week, boys, besides Jake Schmaltz chin hunting that we touched on, uh, I just love that hit. Um, yeah, it's a little bit dirty, but I love that hit. I got to go with a kid who made his NHL debut last week, kid out of Sauk Prairie, Wisconsin, friend of the Butter Golf Show. He was actually an NLI athlete for me last year, played at the Ohio State University, Mason Lorai. Like defenseman uh, made his debut for the Boston Bruins. He's played three games now. First game, he had a nasty apple. He was all over the sheet. Looked like a 700-game NHL veteran. And then last night, tucked one in Dallas. Gets his first goal. So I just think you, when you watch a kid play, especially coming up from the American Hockey League, you can tell early on if they're going to be you know there to stay. And I just think this kid... He's just yeah. nails. I just don't think he thinks about much. He steps in right into the Boston lineup, a couple injuries on the back end, and looks right at home like I would be – I'd be shocked if they sent him back down to Providence. So Mason Lorai, good kid, Wisco boy, looks great. Nails that he just steps right in. Yeah, I mean, he looks so comfortable up there playing the point. So wanted to give him a shout-out. And our last segment here for the show, boys, Ozzy, I wanted to start with you. Live from the underground, do you have someone out there, maybe in the jungle, maybe whatever sport, just grinding away, trying to make their name that, you know, they deserve a little bit of a shout out. So if you got someone, uh, let's hear it, bro. I've actually got the leading scorer in the American League right now. Um, I got to shout him out just because I think his name might be the best name in hockey right now. His name is Arshdeep Baines. <laughs> um, I think he's got a little bit of an Indian descent in him. Okay, but, yeah. And this guy's this guy's slinging it out there. He's got 16 points, I think, uh, in 11 games. He's playing for the Abbotsford Canucks. He's looking to get a call up there. But Arshdeep Baines, man, that is an unbelievable name. He's lighting up the American League right now. Um, good for this guy. I'd love to see him in an NHL sweater just to hear the announcers. You know, Arshdeep's got the puck. You know, it's fucking such a nails name. That is nails. And you just so much respect for the boys grinding in the jungle. Is he a first year player, second year player? Did you look up his hockey DB at all? I, I, this is a second year in the American League. I think he uh, played for the Red, Red Deer Rebels in the WHL. Um, he's coming, he's coming out of Surrey, BC. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think he put up, a, it looks like he put up 112 points his last season in the, in the WHL. So he's clearly. You know, he's clearly got the skill to him, but last year he had 38 points um, in 66 games. Pretty good season, but that ain't no 16-point pace 11-game season. So we'll see what he can do with that. Especially in the jungle, too. I mean, that's that's tearing through the jungle, as I would say. It's got to be harder to get points in the jungle than the national, I think. Oh, like, it is. It's, it's a way more mucky game. It's almost like rugby versus football. It's just a little dirtier, you know, a little greasier. But my... Live from the underground, shout out goes to actually a dear friend of the show, a guy I played with a little bit in pro, uh, actually in Chicago with the Wolves and in Toronto, a former Yale grad and veteran of 86 NHL games, now massages the pill in the Dell, which is Germany's top league. He has 11 points in 13 games after being hurt the majority of the year last year with an elbow injury in the Continental Hockey League. That's the KHL in Russia. Cap tip to my boy, Kenny Agostino. Just an absolute beauty, boys. He's been grinding. 
playing in Germany now in Dusseldorf. So lighten it up over there. Actually plays with Brendan O'Donnell. I think Odie's on the shelf right now. But, yeah, snapping around still. I love the guys that are still grinding in Europe. So much respect for them. You know, I know the guys love the game, but people don't realize, even if you're making decent coin, it's hard to live over there. You know, especially him being a single guy. You're over there. You don't really have a family. So shout out to Ago, still grinding away over in the Dell with Dusseldorf. But, boys, I think that kind of gets, you know, everything covered in terms of what I got. Unless, Ozzy, Mace, you got anything? Um, I think that was pretty good. That was a solid snap there. We went for a bit. Yeah. I feel I like good. It. I'm excited to I'm excited to hear what Anna's got for us. I missed I know. it. Um, but I'm excited to hear what she asked her. I know. We gotta get we gotta get her back on. She said she was willing to come back on. I was like, you know, we're playing under man tonight. We're missing Ozzo. He's you know actually in New York City where she was. But hey, mini movers called and you were doing your job, baby. So folks, without further ado, let's send it over to Anna Dua who works for the NHL Network and the league in general, does a lot of stuff with the New York Rangers, even with MSG Network, does some stuff with the Devils. So a girl that's very up and coming. She's young. I believe this is her second or third year doing media stuff with the NHL and the NHL Net, but someone that is a rising stud in the media ranks. It was good to hear from her. She was very knowledgeable, uh, had a lot to say, good knowledge of the game and just a general understanding of hockey. So, folks, that was episode 10. Send it over to Anna now. Fellas, I'm headed to Mullet Arena. Boots on the ground, maybe. Woo! Alrighty, folks. Without further ado, next up on the Live in 5 podcast, straight out of the NHL Network, a young lady that wears many hats in hockey media, originally from Toronto, Ontario, but is listed as a dual citizen. So I want to get to that in a little bit here. She's covered. Winter Classics, Stadium Series, Stanley Cups, and is one of the fastest rising studs in all of hockey media. Please welcome to the Live in 5 podcast, Anna Dua. Anna girl, how we living? Oh my God, what an intro I just got there. My goodness, that just made my Monday. What a start to the week. Yeah, you know, I try to get that radio voice going, you know what I mean? Try to give our guests a, a, a warm welcome over here at Live in 5, but thank you for joining us. I am riding solo today. I don't have my co-host Gage Ozzo Osmus with me, but we got Jackie Mason in the back cutting it up. So thanks again for popping in on a Monday, and uh, yeah, how you doing right now? Are you in NYC, NYC or, or where you at? I am. As of now, I'm in New York, so kind of slowed down with the travel a little bit, and by that I mean I haven't gone anywhere in like two weeks, so it's kind of nice. Just kind of covering things at the NHL network, doing a little bit with the NHL, or what's your day-to-day -day like in the city? Oh, it changes every single day. Uh, shows with the network, shows with NHL studios. I'm doing some work with MSG networks in the city with like the New Jersey Devils, New York Islanders, and whatnot. So every day is a new day in this field. Okay, so you're a jack of all trades, if you will. But if we kind of back it up to, you know, growing up, and I wanted to kind of go from the start to where you are now and. You're a gal that grew up in Toronto, I believe, just outside of it. But it says I was kind of doing a little digging on you. I think I believe I was on your website earlier today, and it said that you're a dual citizen. So were you spending a little time in the U.S. and Canada growing up or talk me through that? 
Yeah, I was. So my mom's Canadian, my dad's American. So I got real lucky in this field, let me tell you, with those two passports that I'm carrying. But grew up just outside of Toronto. I'm from Burlington. So if anyone's from Toronto, that's absolutely not Toronto. Um, great place to grow up. Loved growing up in that area. And then I went to high school down in the States, just outside of Washington, D.C. So kind of up and down pretty much my entire life. But it's been nice to have two homes, you know, two is better than one. For sure. A little bit of of a, a hybrid, I like to call you, if you will, kind of get that dual. That's nice to have in the back pocket, though. So you grew up in Toronto and then you make the transition to just outside Washington, D.C. Was that just because you were able to go play hockey at a private school or what was the uh, kind of like the makeup of why you went to high school in the States? Well, it was mostly my parents. My dad's from the area. So that's why we decided to move down there. It was a little bit of a transition. I did play hockey while I was down there and it was very, very different. Let me tell you from Toronto, a lot of people down where I live didn't really play hockey. It was mostly like it was about 15 minutes outside of D.C. I lived in Virginia and it was pretty much like kids of the caps or like someone in the Washington Capitals organization were the only folks that played hockey down there. There were like three rinks in the area and there was it was a big culture shock from Canada for sure. But I enjoyed my time down there. It was a different experience. And now covering the sport, it's nice to be able to have lived in like a Canadian and an American market. Yeah, for sure. And, and I was kind of reading earlier too, um, you know, doing my scouting, a little due diligence. So you played hockey growing up. Was that something that was instilled, you know, with you from a young age? Did your dad play growing up or what was kind of, you know, the, the overall makeup? I mean, obviously being in Canada, everyone plays, but were you someone that played from the time you were little to, to high school and, and then kind of stopped playing or talk me through that a little bit? Yeah, well, like I'm Canadian, so it was definitely instilled in me. Everyone up there plays hockey. I was literally, I literally tweeted the other day. I don't even remember how to skate. Like I was watching someone learn how to skate as an adult. And I was like, if I had to teach someone, how would I even do it? Because I don't really even remember learning because it's been so long. But yeah, played hockey pretty much my entire life uh, growing up in Canada. And then I played hockey throughout high school down in the States, had a couple of terrible knee injuries. And that was kind of the end of my hockey career. But then I pivoted and started doing this. So I'm still connected to the sport in some way, but definitely growing up playing is the reason why I decided to do this. And I always say like, I'm a hockey player first, like hockey broadcaster second. And that's what I try to instill in all my coverage today too. For sure. And then just, you know, having growing up playing, obviously being in Canada, you have knowledge of the game, but like, I'm curious, what was your game like as a player? Were you a crafty little winger? Did you play the center ice position? Were you a little D-man that could make pop plays in the middle? What was your game like when you were snapping it around on the sheet? Oh, I wish I could play defense. They didn't let me because I was too short. So I was a center. I actually grew up playing boys hockey. And yeah. um, that was a great experience at the time of my life. And then I transitioned to girls hockey. And I was like leading the league in penalty minutes because I didn't know how to play hockey for a season. But yeah, played center, was good at faceoffs, kind of gritty, not like a big skill guy, but it was it was fun. Yeah, yeah. you had a little uh, you had a little gritty or feistiness to your game, right? You you're racking up the pims. You're playing that hard nose style hockey, especially probably in women's hockey, right? It's yeah, uh, like a whopping five six. I was doing some damage. <laughs> That's hilarious. Just nose over the puck, playing hard, gritty, tough around the cage. That's so that's so funny. But so you go, you know, from Canada, you go to the U.S. You you know, obviously spend some time just outside the D.C. area, and then you go back to college. I believe in Toronto, right? You went to Ryerson University. That's just outside of Toronto. Is that in the city? 
it is in the city, so it's right downtown. So it was nice to get to go back. I decided to become like a sports broadcaster kind of like after I stopped playing hockey. It wasn't something I grew up wanting to do. I just didn't really realize like what my life would be like without playing hockey since I did it my entire life. And all of a sudden, I'm not waking up at four in the morning anymore and I have my evenings free. And I was like, what am I supposed to do now? And decided to become a sports broadcaster. No better place to study that than Toronto. So I went back home. Yeah, no doubt. The Mecca for sure of hockey. And like, were you living like right downtown? Like I, I was with the, uh, with the Marlies. I, I got traded one year from St. Louis to Toronto and ended up playing in the AHL for their, their farm team there, obviously with the Marlies, but we're like, were you living like right, you know, right around King street or you, you know, somewhere in queen street, where, where were you at there? Okay, now that I don't live there anymore, I can tell you exactly where I lived because these condos are infamous in Toronto. I used to live in the ice condos right across from Scotiabank Arena. If anyone's ever seen like that Drake music video or like heard yeah. about that girl in Toronto who threw like a chair off the balcony onto the Gardner Expressway, yes, yes. Um, that was my condo building. I moved out like okay. right after that happened. I was like, my goodness, a new disaster was happening every single day in that building. But great location because it was right across from like Scotiabank and I worked for the Leafs for like a year while I was in college. So easy commute. Yeah, that is easy. And that city, I mean, that city's sneaky. I feel like it's like firing every kind of night. You know what I mean? Like Monday through Saturday or even Sunday. Like, I feel like it, it's got a lot of steam to it. I mean, people are going out every night. So when you were in school, were you, were you on King street mixing it up a couple times a week? Were you, you know, pretty devoted to your studies? What was life like that? Especially when you're a young gal and you're in school and I'm sure, you know, there's, there's so much to do. Like what was your day to day there? Were you, were you pretty dialed in with the studies or were you, you know, having some fun on King or, or whatnot? Oh yeah. Real academic studying sports broadcasting in college guys, you know, spending that extra hours in the library, but no, oh. not really. I mean, Toronto's such a fun city. It was a great experience to get to go to college there. There's so many fun places, always stuff to do. So I had a pretty good time while I was living in Toronto. I will tell you that, but also great opportunities to get some like work under my belt before I even like graduated. Like I graduated in 2021 and while I was in Toronto, I got to work for TSN. I got to work for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I got to work for NBC Sports. So kind of balancing having fun with doing a little bit of work to prep for the future. But I do miss it, though. Sometimes I think those were my glory days. Yeah, I mean, that city's I mean, it's just got like I said, it's got so much steam. It's so much fun. A spot that I love to go mix it up, especially on a Sunday. It's not like a crazy bar or club or anything, but a place called King Taps. You probably know what I love King Taps. Um, I, I used to love going there, just watch football, you know, have probably one too many drinks and, and kind of chill because the, the food menu was always decent. Usually had a DJ in there too, playing some tunes. You could kind of vibe out and and a lot of TVs, which I like, so you can watch some some games, whatever it is. Yeah, their foods like actually kind of slept on. Like King Taps Pizza was like my go-to late night like Uber Eats order because it was very, very good. So I do miss that place. I'm not going to yeah, lie. It's a sneaky spot for sure. And I just kind of wanted to ask you, so, you know, finishing up college, you said you worked with the Leafs a little bit during your time at Ryerson, then a little bit with NBC Sports. What was your transition from university to into hockey media? What was like your first job coming out of school? So when I was in school, the first thing I did was I worked for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I was part of their game prez crew, and that was really nice. I got to go to all like the Leafs home games, just like dip my toes in the water of what it's like to work in sports. And then after that, I got an internship during the summer with TSN, and I was actually in Montreal for a couple of months while I was doing that, which was 
also a crazy experience. Montreal is a very unique hockey market. So I'm grateful that I got to experience that too, along with Toronto. And from there, one of the people that I worked with introduced me to someone at NBC Sports back when NBC still had the rights to the NHL. And I started working with them part time during nights while I was in school. And then NBC kind of like lost the rights to ESPN. Uh, someone over at the NHL was like, we have an opening. You want it? I was like, yeah, of course I want it. Like no brainer. And now I'm here. So it was kind of like a little bit of like ping pong going back and forth, getting really lucky and working really hard. But I'm grateful for how it turned out. Yeah, like you said, I feel like getting thrown right into the job somewhere like Montreal or Toronto. I mean, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. I think with the, just the media pressure, how much, you know, it's just circled and, you know, hockey such under such a microscope in both those places. I think you learn a lot probably really quickly. And then everything else is, you know, it's not gravy, but you you really have an understanding of of how it works. And that's what I wanted to ask you next. Like, how do you like working at the NHL Network? And have you met my buddy Jason Demers yet? He's a guy that's going to be starting at the NHL net, I believe, sometime in the next couple of months. He's had a couple of cameo appearances on there um, in terms of getting his feet wet. But um, how do you like working there? And have you met JD yet? I have not met him yet. I feel like the NHL Network is one of those places where we always say it's like ship sailing. You're in for your shows and you really meet the people you're working with that particular day. Not really that many people all around. So I hope to meet him soon. But the NHL, the NHL Network, both phenomenal places to work. I mean... I got to cover the entire league, which is something that I've always wanted to do because I love like the sport more than any team. I didn't like grow up being like a diehard fan of one team. I just really liked hockey. So getting to talk about all 32 teams and getting the fun experiences of going to like the events and getting to see like the playoffs, it's been so, so awesome. So it's really like living the dream. For sure. And, and most of the time, like you said, are they changing up the set? You know, who you're working with in terms of like your, you know, your teammates on there? Are you working mostly with, you know, a couple different people on there? Like, are you working with EJ Heratic and some of those guys or who is like your your normal day to day if you're stepping in there? Or does it totally change depending on who's in and, you know, what the assignment is? It totally changes. So I did a lot of work with EJ last season. I've actually not seen EJ at all this season. A lot of the stuff I do, we have another studio in our NHL headquarters in Manhattan. So like a lot of the work I do is out of there. And okay. right now it's a lot of independent work as well. So it's just like me by myself and my amazing crew. They're awesome to hang out with. And then when I do stuff at the network, it's with everyone. It depends on the day what I'm there for. We did like a preseason show with Mike Rupp and uh, Thomas Hickey, which is really fun. And they were awesome filming that special was fun so whenever I get to go in it's great to work with like different people each time because they have such a great group of people over at the NHL network so it's nice that it gets switched around a little bit that is awesome and well if you see JD or you run into him he might have to throw away like a rookie dinner for everyone at NHL net you know really get them acclimated in there make them you know take out the crew wherever it is and you know soak a tab you know pay for it and really uh you know do his part because uh I think he's going to be starting the next couple maybe months here. I think he was working on, you know, some different visa things being Canadian, but if you see JD, make sure he's, you know, maybe he's taking care of those people over there. Right. Cause he's, he's a rookie on the staff. Oh, I will. Absolutely. I'll hold him to this now. Yeah. But uh, no, I, and another thing I just want to do, you know, kind of transition to you being in NYC, you said, you know, before the show we started, you, you've been there for about a couple of years now. How do you like working in the city? How do you like being in the big apple? that city moves at a different pace? Is it, you know, an adjustment or have you really enjoyed your time there? 
Uh, it's been fun. Uh, let me tell you, when I lived in Canada and I lived in downtown Toronto, people in Canada say that like Toronto is like the New York of Canada. And I was like, easy money. Like this transition to New York is going to be so easy. It is nothing like Toronto. Toronto looks like a suburb compared to New York City. The city moves at a completely different pace, but it's awesome to be living here. It's great to be working in sports here because we have the luxury of having so many teams. Like we have the Devils, we have the Rangers, we have the Islanders. So getting to go to all those games and cover all of those teams is awesome and beyond on that i mean like this is like kind of like the heart of all sports right we have so many football teams we have so many nba teams and we have like multiple mlb teams so new york sports fans are super passionate but just even getting the exposure to all of that it's definitely something really special yeah for sure and it's funny you say that that people as i think i find canadians always to say that about toronto and new york city it's like fella it's it's nothing like it there's nothing like New York City and in Toronto, it's not like a, like you said, it's more of a suburb than being able to compare it to like a neighborhood of the city. So that's kind of funny. But have you stumbled into a place called the Canuck, a local establishment, a bar there? Do you ever spend any time there? It's a good spot to grab a pint, watch a game. Um, you know, a bunch of my buddies are always that live in the city. That's where they're going. So do you ever do you ever pop in there? I have. Yeah, we, we have actually time. filmed a show like that was like we did a couple of segments at the Canuck. I believe it was a season and a half ago, maybe like two years ago that yeah. we would film out of there. But they're awesome. The ownership is awesome. I believe they're from like British Columbia, but it's okay. great. It's nice to go to a Canadian themed bar. They have like Canadian beer like you don't see Moosehead anywhere else in this country. So it was nice to get to go in. And whenever there's hockey games, like fans from all over just show up and it's a great spot to watch hockey for sure. And just the owners are so great everyone there is awesome so i love it every time i get to go pop in ice cold labat how you doing folks good to see you no that's a that's a good spot i've only been there a couple times but uh every time i had been there especially if you know for a playoff game or whatever it's always a great environment and i wanted to ask you now that you're in nyc you know what's your favorite pizza like by the slice in in the city are you a john's off bleaker type chick are you a joe's prince street like what's your favorite slice of za that you like to have in the city? I think Joe's is a little bit overrated. I feel like okay. that might be a controversial take. Maybe it's not. I always see a huge line outside of there and it's not my favorite pizza. In Manhattan so far, it's probably Prince Street. Um, but the best pizza I've had in this entire area is actually in Hoboken, New Jersey, and it's called 10th Street Pizza. Like that pizza was something else. It was like the best pizza I've ever had. So I got to give them a shout out there. Okay, I'm gonna have to try that because Prince Street, they have like those two styles of pizza, right? You can kind of get like, it's like Detroit style or like a, more of a thin crust, right? I mean, I was it was a little fuzzy when I was there last time. It was about 3.30 in the morning, but it was pretty good. The line was so long. I I ended up waiting it out for about 45 minutes, and it was worth it. It's worth it. It's good. It's yeah. no 10th Street, though, but like it, okay. you got to go to Hoboken to get it. But that pizza was like something else. I swear to God. I was like, wow, this is really, really good. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to try that. And staying on, I'm a, like a little bit of a foodie here, Anna, so I wanted to stay on just another spot. Have you tried this pop-up bagels place, and is the hype actually – there like is it that good have you been there have you seen this spot i have that i have it is pretty good i will give you that it's not bad but once again i'm pumping like the tires of hoboken right now because the best yeah. bagels i've had are also in hoboken it's a place Neat. called o bagel they're like ridiculously good and you can get like so much in your bagel this is also crazy to me right like i say i'm from toronto i'm from like an hour and a half outside of toronto and like we don't have like these customizable options here and like i'm getting bagels with chipotle mayo and hash browns and egg and cheese inside and bacon i'm like oh my god like this is crazy like this is wild but oh bagel is the best bagel i've had once again in hoboken but pop oh my god i'm, I'm gonna, next time i'm in the sea i'm just gonna be over in hoboken the whole time trying to leave spots Sounds hoboken's like a fun spot hoboken's yeah, yeah. actually nice 
that's sneaky for sure. Do they, can you just get like a standard, just like, you know, everything bagel with a little cream cheese on it, you know, cause that's kind of me. I'm just more of a, just, you know, keep it simple, right? Good first pass D man. Keep it simple. Yeah, you can, you can get whatever you want, but their actual bagels are like ridiculously good. Okay. I'm blown away. Hoboken's like underrated. It's, it's a fun spot. Okay. Well, uh, I'll have to try it. And Back to some hockey talk here. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, being the expert you are, a gal that spent a lot of time covering, you know, a lot of the Metro division, especially the New York Rangers and the Devils. My guy, a guy that I love watching, you know, play growing up, you know, where's he going to end up? Patty Kane, AKA Showtime. Is he going to be back with the blue shirts? Is this a guy that might be going up state to, you know, say Buffalo? What are you hearing on the Patty Kane front? Because I feel like it's been kind of quiet with just all the different headlines throughout the league, Bedard, this and that, the Oilers stinking. But Patty Kane, people forget this guy's coming back from a hip surgery. The game film I've seen of him working out, skating, he looks good. You know, he can add to a team still. He's a guy that takes care of his body and, you know, ultimately he's just a gamer. So what are you hearing on the Patty Kane front, a.k.a. Showtime? I mean, I feel like you're right. A lot of people haven't been talking about it recently, and I feel like that's fueled the rumors for him to go to multiple spots. I know he's been practicing near where I grew up in, like, Oakville, Ontario, so that's where he's camping out right now while he's getting ready to make it back into the NHL. I don't know if I'm, like, a romantic here, but I would love to see him play in Buffalo. He's from the area. This team is rising. Like, getting that type of veteran leadership on a squad like the Buffalo Sabres, it would just be, like, such a storybook type of situation for Patrick Kane. And at the beginning of the year, I was kind of worried about the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, my goodness, this first month in the NHL has been like ridiculous. So like whatever thoughts I had about that situation has changed so drastically based off of all of these surprises we've seen so far in the first month. And starting off the year, I was a little bit like concerned about the Buffalo Sabres. They seem like they're somewhat turning it around and they're becoming a little bit more lucrative. So I want to see him in Buffalo, but there's many teams where he could fit into. And I don't know, it's still up in the air. I I feel like we might all be surprised too, maybe. I know. I just think I would love him to be in Buffalo, especially with that young core, you know, TNT, Tage Thompson, all those good young players, Rasmus Dahlin. I think Donnie Granado is a great coach. I think he really gels with the the younger new age player. I just wonder, I mean, I know he's from there, but is it a big enough market for a guy like Showtime? You know what I mean? He's got to be under those bright lights, right? Like, is that somewhere where you could see him? I, I'm hoping so. I just, is Dallas an option? I just, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because I want to see that guy at least, you know, have a little bit of a runway to to maybe make some noise and win again because he's such a generational player and kids, especially being an American, growing up watching him play, just not, you know, too far down the road in Chicago, me being from Wisconsin. That's a guy I would love to see on a competitive team. And hopefully he still has, you know, a few good years left ahead of him. Yeah, exactly. I think the biggest thing is exactly what you said about him wanting to win. And Buffalo, in my eyes, does give him that opportunity somewhat. I mean, they have so much talent on that team that is so young and their future is really, really bright. So they could just if they sneak into the playoffs, guys, this year, you never know. Like in hockey, everything is evened out once you're in the postseason. You know, it's not basketball. It's not football. You don't have those juggernaut teams guaranteed to win. Like every game is its own game in the NHL. And if Buffalo can squeak in there, you never know. They could have a little bit of an upset run. We saw what happened with the Florida Panthers last year. Last team in made it to the Stanley Cup final. That can happen any given time. So I think just because he does want to win, Buffalo is one of those options in my eyes where it could happen. Like they're right on the verge. They've been on the verge for the past couple of years. If they can straighten a couple of things out and get the most out of these young guys, you never know what the Buffalo Sabres are going to look like in the spring. 
no doubt. I think they definitely have that high-end skill up front, a couple of good defensemen, goaltending. They can kind of figure it out. But how sick or nasty are those old-school jerseys, those black ones with the buffalo head on them? Oh, my God. Those are sick. I just remember, like, Danny Briere wearing those and, you know, they're good teams back in the early 2000s. And I don't know. I just feel like that's such a hockey market. You got Chippewa Street. It's a Rust Belt city. It's gritty, blue collar. That would be awesome to see 88 there. But moving along, Anna, to I have a couple other questions for you out of the Metro. A couple of young studs are banged up right now in the Metro. Honestly, two of the best in the league. We have um, Adam Fox with an injury. It looked like a knee injury. And Jack Hughes, a.k.a. Little Jizzy, as P.K. Subban would call him. I guess we'll start with Hughes um, because, you know, he's probably my favorite player in the league right now. I think it's you could put up the argument that he's a top three player in the league this year. What are we hearing about him? Because it looked like an apparent shoulder injury kind of ran into the boards there in St. Louis. Do we have a timeline on how long it's going to be before we see Jack Hughes out there? Because the game needs this guy. It absolutely does. I mean, what a start to the year he had. It was awesome getting to see him night after night when I covered some Devils game. This kid just plays at a completely different level, and it's it's so great to see. I think so far this year before he got injured, he was the most exciting player to watch by far in my eyes in the NHL. And it seems like the good news for the New Jersey Devils is they did avoid a worst-case scenario. So it could have been worse. What happened to Jack Hughes, it looks like it's not. He's week-to-week at the moment. I'm guessing he's going to miss a little bit of time, but the way they were talking about it so far it seemed like they were pretty relieved with the consensus that they got there and it's not as looking as bad as the Adam Fox injuries looking for the New York Rangers and yeah I was going to ask you on that front what are we hearing out of the garden what are we hearing out of Adam Fox it was a knee on knee is that something that's gonna you know be a little bit longer term he believe I he got put on a long-term IR right in terms of you know he could be out I mean I think long-term IR is at least you know x amount of days so what's that injury looking like that really hurts their back end. I mean, as you know, I like to call that guy like the Allen Iverson of hockey, just the way he can dish the pill, get up the ice, and his brain is just is so good. He's an awesome player to watch, and that's just unfortunate. Like, I watched that hit, and it looked like a little bit of an accidental collision there, and you just hate to see it and hate to see a guy like that missing time. He is on LTIR, so it's a little bit more severe than the Jack Hughes injury, and the Rangers are going to need some guys to step up in his absence, right? Keandre Miller is going to have to take the next step, a guy I'm looking at to fill some of that void as Eric Gustafson. They brought him there to do just that, and he's going to have to do it as well, but huge loss. I mean, the Rangers are just not not doing well right now. Philip Heedle's day-to-day, Igor Shosturkin's day-to-day, Adam Fox is on LTIR, and this team was buzzing. They were looking really, really good just before all of these injuries, so you hate to see the injury bug be the reason a team kind of falls off a hot streak. For sure, and you got the bread man there. I mean, he's nasty. He's a guy that, even when my brother was coming up in the league, he was on a line with bread, and he always talks about how sick that guy is. He looks, He's looked great to start the season. They were buzzing, like you said, and is there a kid, you know, I believe he was the start of the year in Hartford. He's had a cup of Joe in the National Hockey League uh, as a kid out of college. That Zach Jones, is he going to get a spot, you know, or a, a chance to come into the lineup here, maybe get some power play minutes because he's a heady defenseman, kind of similar to Fox, where he's a little undersized, could make really good plays, has a good brain. He just really hasn't had a, a, a good chance or a great chance to kind of solidify a role in terms of with the Rangers. Is that a guy that, you know, maybe gets a look, an extended look now? 
could happen. You know, they're definitely going to test out a couple of different options to see what the best fit is. Braden Schneider's right there too. I believe he's playing on a pair with Zach Jones. So those guys are definitely going to be given a little bit more opportunity. In my eyes, I think Eric Gustafson is going to be like the immediate fill-in. I think he's ready to take on that role. He had a great game last game. He's just a player that I see fulfilling that role immediately, but I know they're going to shift it around because none of those guys are a replacement for a guy like Adam Fox, right? So I'm sure everyone's going to get some opportunity while Fox is out and whoever makes the best of it is going to be the guy that kind of sticks. For sure. Yeah. Gustafson, he's always been a reliable defensive back there. He's a guy that even, you know, backing it up to four or five years ago in Chicago is a 60 point defense. And so I could definitely see that. I've always liked his game, played against him in the minors, you know, X amount of years. So, but Anna, I wanted to, to kind of ask you, you know, we're getting closer to that quarter of the season. We're not quite there yet. Usually it's around Turkey day in terms of Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving that is, but you know, at this point in the National Hockey League, you know, teams are anywhere from 10 to 15 games deep. You know, it's not a whole lot of sample size, but it is enough to where some teams, you know, like in Edmonton, they're hitting the panic button. There's been some teams like the Bruins that have really solidified themselves as, yeah, we're for real again. In terms of, you know, Anna's favorites to win the Stanley Cup or maybe, you know, an early Stanley Cup final prediction. I know it's early. It's only November, but um, what are you seeing around the league and who are two teams? Maybe give me one from the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference in terms of, you know, teams that you could see uh, really making a push for the cup. So my preseason prediction that I did before anything started was I had Dallas and Carolina as my cup final with Carolina winning. And so far, like the Dallas Stars, I feel like are just a reliable team. And I'm sure they're going to do well in the postseason. They've been kind of knocking on the door for the past couple of years. So I'm not too down on that. I do think Vegas has had a phenomenal start to the year. Like I keep waiting for this team to fall off and it just doesn't until like the Anaheim Ducks, apparently. But this team is so strong. It's looking so good this season, though. It's so tough because even like a team like Colorado, like all of a sudden they're getting shut out. I'm like, what's happening with Colorado? A lot of folks had Edmonton making the cup final, winning the cup, and Edmonton seems to be in shambles right now. I had Vancouver making the playoffs in my preseason prediction, but Vancouver is looking like a really solid team right now with pretty much every guy getting on the score sheet night after night for that roster. I had the Coyotes making the playoffs this year. That was like my bold prediction, and they're looking pretty good, and now all the all of a sudden the Anaheim Ducks seem to be like the best team in the NHL at the moment winning game after game so it's been quite surprising but I think I'll run it back with Dallas and Carolina and Carolina winning I think Carolina's had some issues to start the year off but there's no deeper team in the entire NHL than the Carolina Hurricanes if they can avoid some injuries and get the production of these guys going I mean that team's a menace and they absolutely deserve it they've deserved it for the past couple of seasons and it's gonna happen guys it's gonna happen soon and I think it's gonna happen this year yeah, I've always liked their game. Just like you said, even last year with that Shveshnikov getting hurt, you know, that really hurt their playoff chances. But yeah, I think that's a that's a team that plays with a lot of pace. I think they have a sick beauty coach in terms of Rod Brindamore, veteran. He's won. He's been there. And then they brought back a guy like the gangsta, I call him, Tony D'Angelo. And I always have loved that kid's game. Straight out of South Philly. Probably not scared to fight on or off the ice. Good skill. Um, seems like a great team guy from the guys I've talked to. So I like that pick. Colorado is going to be tough to beat, especially if they can stay healthy. Maybe Landis Gog comes back, you know, right in time for playoffs or they use some of that space to to add someone. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, a team that I had picked for my cup, you know, at least in the final, maybe my cup favorite was the Edmonton Oilers. And, Anna, with all due respect, what the hell is going on in Edmonton right now? This place is an absolute dumpster fire. If you're sitting back watching this team and you're Kenny Holland, the general manager, 
of the Edmonton Oilers. What are you thinking right now? Are you thinking, is this, you know, we might have to warrant a coaching change. Do we need to trade somebody to shake up the roster? Do we need a goalie? I mean, Jack Campbell is a guy they signed to a long-term ticket, and he, for whatever reason, has struggled over the last year and a half and into two years now. So I don't know what, like, what do they do in terms of getting this team back on track? Because a guy like, you know, McDavid, you're watching Dreisaitl, you're watching these guys, even in their interviews after, you can tell, like, they're just bubbling. You know, the frustration is just leaking out of them, and rightfully so, because, I don't know if it's the panic button yet, but these guys, I mean, they have very high hopes and it kind of just seems like the same song and dance for the Oilers every year. They hit this rut in whatever part of the season and then the playoffs come and, you know, they're not able to get over the hump. So talk me through what needs to happen in Edmonton. I mean, I know we're just kind of bullshitting here, but what are we thinking there? It's tough. I mean, the Oilers, they're close to the panic button at this point. Like they should not be performing the way they are. And it's largely because this team just cannot make a save. There's not that much I can say about their forward group. Like Connor McDavid is in a league of his own. So is Leon Dreisaitl and the entire team. Like I believe they're either second or third. I think they're second though in offensive zone percentage in the NHL this season right now. So their forwards are trying to do what they can do. They're keeping the puck out of their own side of the ice, but this team just cannot make a save. And that's just dragging them down. It's been the same old story in Edmonton for so long they try out all of these goalies and they kind of fall flat when it matters the most so that's what the Oilers really need to focus on and they're rightfully frustrated I mean like year after year it's the same story it's like deja vu with the Edmonton Oilers it's just this time we're seeing it earlier than we usually do usually we see this type of performance from them in like the postseason when they really should be making it further and making like the splashes they want to make but right now we saw it in October so it's in a way it's a good thing that they're getting this early warning sign and seeing these issues early. So maybe they can course correct and be the competitive team. Everyone wants to see them be. I mean, Connor McDavid deserves it so, so much to have a deep, deep run. And the team's just letting him down right now. I know. And it's just even come April, come playoff time, you need these guys on the biggest stage because, I mean, I think, you know, in terms of the best athlete in the game right now, I think it is Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl is right there in terms of a hockey player. But I think, you know, nobody matches what McDavid can do on the ice in any sport. And to see him kind of not get to where he wants to be. And it's just frustrating. I think Edmonton in itself is a little bit harder of, of a place to even market in Canada and, and not in Canada, but I said more so in the U.S. I think not a whole lot of people really, they do know of McDavid down here, but, you know, you talk to someone living in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I am, I mean, they, there's no chance, right? I think it's some, something that we need to get McDavid on the big stage. People need to see him win, and then people can really appreciate how good this guy is. So we'll see if they can figure it out there. I just think even with their you know, their defense and Darnell Nurse, I mean, he's a decent defenseman, but making nine and a hook at nine five, like it's it's tough right there because, you know, that eats away at a lot of your cap, and especially with a cap being what it is now, that's, that's a big chunk. So I'm hoping for the best for them. Um, we'll see in terms of where they go from here, but I think they'll be able to figure it out. They got, you know, two of the best players in the, in the world and, you know, just kind of ride it out. There's ebbs and flows to a season. So we'll see on that front. But another question I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been around the NHL for a little bit now. What's like your favorite NHL arena you've been to and maybe your favorite NHL city, maybe it could go hand in hand, but like, what are some spots that you've really, you know, been and been like, wow, this is, this is national league. 
Well, I'm from Toronto, so obviously I'm going to say Scotiabank Arena is pretty special just to me. A lot of folks don't like it, but that's because you only focus on the lower bowl. If you look outside in Maple Leaf Square and you go to the upper bowl, those fans are something else. And when they won that first round series last year, I was there for their series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And man, the city of Toronto just shut down. So I'm obviously going to say that being from Toronto, it's a great place, but I'll give you a place that really surprised me. And that's going to be Raleigh, North Carolina, because it was a culture shock when I went down there for the stadium series and it's insane to see the growth of hockey in a place like Raleigh because I talked to an alumni of the team Bates Battaglia and he was saying when the team moved down to Raleigh a lot of folks didn't want him there because Carolina's like a basketball and a NASCAR type of state it was not a hockey state and now when I went down for the stadium series I was there the whole week before and a week before the game people are walking around Raleigh wearing like Carolina hurricane sweaters and I was like oh my god like on a routine day not even a game day this is insane the game sold out at a football stadium carter finley where the nc state i believe they play college football entire stadium sold out ridiculous atmosphere i've been to games at pnc as well and they're right it is the loudest house in the nhl like the fans there get really really rowdy and beyond even just the nhl the thing that blew my mind the most was after the stadium series i think they had a club hockey game between unc and nc state at carter finley as well well and they packed in like tens of thousands of people to watch like club hockey outside it was pretty cold in North Carolina that week and I was like oh my god like this sport is really really growing in a place that a lot of people didn't think it was going to grow so being from Toronto we take it for granted that everyone loves hockey that much but going to an untraditional hockey market and seeing how passionate those fans were it kind of like blew my mind People like tailgate those games too, in terms of like playoff games. Like they're going like full NASCAR or full like NFL Sunday. Like they're out there, they got a pack of smokes, they got the Weber grill going, you know, hot dogs, whatever it is, you know, bud, bud heavy. Like those people, they really get after it before the game. Like they like their team. They get out in the parking lot, you know, got the white beater on and they're ready to go. They are. Oh my God. Yeah. I went to their tailgates before one of their games. We actually went around Raleigh to prep for the stadium series, doing a couple of shoots around town. And they were out hours before the game. Everyone's barbecuing. Everyone's sharing too. I was like, oh my God, you guys, Southern hospitality is real. Everyone was like feeding me food while I was working. I was like, this is great. But the food they make is ridiculous too. Like they have their own style of barbecue where they cook like the entire pig in like one like barbecue, like container or whatever they call it. But it's like the entire pig. So I made Southern barbecue while I was down there for a shoot. And they were like, are you ready to like chop up this pig? And I was like, honestly, no, it's like eight in the morning. I do not want to chop up this entire barbecued pig, but it was pretty good. They have their traditions down there and they're bringing it to hockey, which I love to see. So it's really, really awesome. Yeah. Ro- I mean, there's nothing like roasting a pig at about 10 in the morning and shotgun and a couple beers. I mean, that's that's living right there. People of Toronto could take a little bit of a book, you know, a page out of their book. Why is that lower bowl so sleepy there? It's like everyone took a Tylenol PM and they're in a suit and they're just like too cool to cheer. I mean, that other night where I believe who had a hat trick was at Matthews and like not that many hats were raining down there. Like what was going on there? Like, I mean, that should be the Mecca of hockey. Who had a hat trick? The guy has three hat tricks in like one this season. If someone has a hat trick, it's probably going to be him. But yeah, no, I mean, they turn it around for his next couple of hat tricks. I'll give him that. But I don't know. The folks down there, they have their own thing going on. I will give it to you. Like the sushi at Scotiabank's pretty good. Everyone's always saying, you look at the lower bowl, it's all the suits eating sushi. That's usually what I get when I'm down there. It's kind of underrated. Okay. We got to have some arenas that have like a little bit of the higher class food as well. So their sushi's pretty good. I'll give them that. But the upper bowl guys outside, the fans are there. I promise. They just need to be showcased a little bit more.
sneaky sushi at the scotia bank what are they serving up crispy rice spicy tuna are we working with a little nigiri like what talk to me what oh, they got an assortment of sushi ever the food there is actually like ridiculous they have like oh like boutique like cheese shops where you can get like high-end craft like mac and cheese and grilled cheese sushi like the food there is like really really bougie i'll give you that but i i love working there just for the sushi i'm like this is living the life right here Oh my God, they got the fondue kit out there. They got everything at Scotiabank. Holy jumping. Um, but I wanted to, we got to get you down to the iconic mullet arena down here in AZ. You got to come check out the spectacle of somewhere under 5,000 people. Anna, honestly, it's like watching your favorite band at like a smaller concert venue. You know what I mean? A very intimate experience. You know, it's pretty cool to, it literally feels like you're like in an OHL game or maybe an American Hockey League game. So you got to come check out a game down here at, uh, at Mullet Arena, watch the Coyotes snap it around. I want to. That's on my bucket list. I've been like the Yotes' biggest fan. Everyone thought I was super bold having them in the postseason this year. And then slowly, slowly, as they started heating up and some of these guys started performing, I'm hearing all these people be like, oh, Arizona could make like the playoffs this year. And I was like, that's so funny. It's almost like someone said this like weeks ago. So I would love to take a trip to Scottsdale. Yeah, you got to you got to start. I mean, I, it sounds like you're pumping their tires, but any chance you get on NHL net, you got to be pumping Keller's tires. You got to be pumping Nikki Schmaltz's tires, even this Cooley kid who's nasty like these guys. I mean, like you said, I, I'm with you there. I think they can make some noise. I think the central is not that strong of a division. I think a lot of teams are old and slow, and I think somehow they could sneak in as a wild card and they're playing really good right now. They're getting some decent goaltending. But in terms of, you know, Nick, my brother and, and Keller, like I'm. I'm a little biased, but I'm watching these guys. I think, you know, even last year I was thinking, okay, well, they're, you know, they're like a good second line on any team because they're just, their team wasn't very good. But now this year I'm thinking these guys, they're legit first line. Like they can play. They really can. And a guy like Clayton Keller, I mean, he's been injured so much. And when he's playing, he's a phenomenal player. And people kind of forget that because when he misses time, it kind of goes over your head. But their first line is really solid. Even down the stretch last season, this is a team that was competitive against some of the best teams in hockey. I swear to God, any game where like Arizona was like the heavy underdog, Arizona was going to win that game. Like it happened, like literally, I swear to God, seven times in a row where this team just absolutely beat teams that thought they were going to go into Arizona and come out with a win. And it's because of guys like Clayton Keller and your brother and Logan Cooley just adds even more to that mix. I think if Connor Bedard does not win the Calder Trophy, Logan Cooley is like the next skater up. He hasn't even been scoring that much. We saw that ridiculous goal from him in the preseason, but the scoring is going to come. It's going to come anytime soon. He's still been producing without it. And I love the way he plays. Like if Connor Bedard was not in this rookie class, we would be talking a lot about Logan Cooley. It's a shame that some of that attention gets shifted away from him because in any other year, he would be absolutely the rookie we would be focusing on yeah i think so and not that i'm a gambling man but i believe his odds are at like plus 600 to win the calder and i think even throwing a little action on that isn't a bad play because like you said he's a kid that i've you know i've watched a fair amount of their games he's a guy that's getting better every game and i think eventually he's going to get up probably bumped up to the first line and playing with my bro and and kells right now they got barrett hayton slotted there but he's a kid that looks really good on the power play he obviously has unbelievable skill he's big he's fast i think he's going to get a little stronger and just get more acclimated to the nhl game as the season progresses and i just think he's a kid that probably during his draft year i mean that sofkowski was the first overall pick but you know cooley we'll see how it develops and shakes out but he's a guy that i think could have you know we'll look back and be like wow that was probably the number one overall pick 
Yeah, we easily could. I mean, he's like really proving himself right now. And they're on such a good squad, even on their blue line. You look at guys like Sean Dursey. I think he's finding his fit in Arizona as well. And it's nice to be on a team where you have these pieces that have such individual upside, but they don't have that pressure. You know, no one's really expecting them to make the postseason this year so they can just play the hockey they want to play and learn to find their game in this league. And you never know. I swear to God, this team is competitive night after night. Watching them has been so, so fun. So the Arizona Coyotes. I'm sticking by this. I think they're going to make the play. Oh, I, I think you're. I think you're up to something there. I like it. You're, you're speaking my language. But, anyways, Anna, I think you know this has been great. Uh, thank you for stopping by. I think so. Me and this guy, aka the Heat Daddy, we run this Hockey Night in Scottsdale show. Do you know who the Heat Daddy is on Twitter? Of course, I know who he is. I, I mean, mean man, paragraphs after paragraphs that he's posting in each tweet, but I read all of them because he's got me hooked every single time. Well, it's, it's the man, the myth, the legend, Bob Gucci. So shout out to Rob, uh, dear friend of the show. We did actually did a live show with him up at school, up at North Dakota a couple of weeks ago for our North Dakota Hockey versus Minnesota Gophers series. So that was a blast. But we're going to have to have you pop on. We do it about once a week. And I know you're, you know, you're a traveling band and you're probably busy every night. But one of these nights, you got to pop on and, and talk shop with the fellas during uh, a live stream. We usually do one live stream a week. We like pick a game. And we kind of just chop it up and we just basically more or less just bullshit about the game, random stuff that's going on, you know, maybe a little bit about the weekend and whatever the hell else we get up to. But your knowledge of the game is really good. And I think uh, that'd be awesome. You know, even if you come back on this pod, if you have time or pop on to Hockey Night in Scottsdale, because uh, I think you have really good insight. I think you're a, a rising stud in the media world here. So I want to thank you for popping on to Live and Five. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I got for you. I love that. I would love to be on. I have many questions. I have many questions prepared for Mr. Heat Daddy, let me tell you. A lot have been racking up in my brain over yes. the past couple of months of seeing his tweets. Many, yes. many questions as to why he's the way he is. So I would absolutely love to do that. And it was super fun being on today, too. Yeah, we'll get the, you know, get the notebook out, start, you know, dialing in some questions, see what you got. And then uh, we'll go from there because he's a uh, he's actually a local New York kid. He's from Long Island. So, yeah, he's a uh, he's a riot. He's a guy that lives down here in Scottsdale. So. Like I said, we do that Hockey Night in Scottsdale show once a week. And, um, yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. So we'll have to uh, get you back on, get you onto that show. And you got to pop down to the desert, see what Mullet Arena is all about. We'll take you for, uh, you know, the full tour of what Scottsdale is all about. So thanks again for popping on. And, uh, Mace, unless you got anything else, that was Live in 5. Everybody say yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah.